We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Ah, yes. What's good, everybody? Welcome back to Veterans Minimum. We got some housekeeping notes to attend to before we start this show. So... For those of you that are in the $10 tier on Patreon, patreon.com slash veterans minimum, please go and read the Patreon page. A lot of news and notes pretty much on the daily, but there is a contest that we want to get you in, a DraftKings contest. You can use sources such as DFS Fridays every Friday from Degeneration Bets, and also I post my daily fantasy news and notes every Friday night, and it's a pretty cool tool. That's actually open to the whole public. So even if you guys aren't Patreon members, I have no other site, I guess, to post that on. So I post it on the Patreon page. You guys can check it out. There's a lot of free content on there as well. And if you guys get enticed and you like what's offered over there, you can sign up. With that being said, starting October, we're going to be doing something different. We're going to shake things up a bit like my guy Vince McMahon once said. So uh, you can hear Alan giggling in the background. Uh we will have a new free merch reward for being a patron for the long time, uh, for a long time. Starting in October, we will be keeping track of how long you've been a Patreon member for. Everybody who's already subscribed will be given a one-month streak. When you hit six months in a row, you will receive a VM hat. Now, I know in the past we've had issues with merch, but this is the new, new era of Veterans Minimum. And... I will make sure I have assembled the team behind the scenes. If you are a six-month-in-a-row patron, you will receive a VM hat, custom VM hat. It'll be sent to you. I'll make sure someone gets in contact with you, et cetera, et cetera. Make sure you guys check your Patreon messages on there. We do get in touch with you way more now than we did in the past. When you hit 12 months for one year in a row, you will receive a VM shirt. 
courtesy of the good folks of Veterans Minimum. And then we'll figure something out for those of you that will hopefully one day be a 24-month streak member on Patreon. So a little bit like if you guys are familiar with a Twitch setup, it's kind of like that. Um, All first-time patrons, this is a special offer. All first-time patrons, if you sign up in the $10 tier or higher starting October 1st to October 6th, you will automatically receive a VM hat. That is first time patron signups. October 1st to October 6th, $10 or higher, you will get a free VM hat that you cannot get anywhere else unless it is shipped to you. So, once again, all first time members of the Patreon, you will receive a hat if you sign up October 1st to October 6th. And yeah, it must be in a row without a declined or canceled payment. Because there are a lot of fun stuff that we plan on doing for the show. Alan and I have been discussing maybe getting an actual studio set up, which would be pretty, pretty awesome. And uh, give it an even more professional look. Um, yeah, so check that stuff out. And also, sponsor today, Taver, T-A-V-O-U-R.com. Taver helps. Excuse me. You decide what you want. We deliver it for you. Flat rate fee, regardless of how much you buy. Free to sign up. And so much fun to drink. I can vouch for that. Uh, it's awesome. A lot of custom IPAs from all over the country. Over 600 breweries, independent breweries all across the U.S. Signing up for Taver is free. Just download the app for iOS or Android and create an account to see the available beers. Twice a day, you will get a notification with a new limited release beer that you can buy. There is no obligation to purchase, so you could sign up and just like scope shit out and see what you like. It is only $14.90 no matter how many bottles or cans are in your crate. If you guys download the app today and enter the promo code VETERAN, you will get $10 in cold hard beer cash to use on the app after you spend $25. Again, it is free to sign up. No obligation to purchase. Download the app and enter the code V-E-T-E-R-A-N to get $10. It is fantastic. And the biggest reason why I'll never have a six-pack, unless it's beer, is courtesy of Tavern.com. With that being said, packed out show today. Alan is my guest, as always, on the Thursday episode. You guys are getting it a day earlier because Thursday Night Football is going to be a doozy. So we're running down Sir Daniel Jones's debut, Baker Mayfield and the Browns. Is the NFC North the best division in football? And we have some games of the week. And at the tail end of the episode, a soccer interview with Mike Nish, who is a member of the Chicago women's team, the Chicago Red Stars. He is a higher up over in that organization. And we kind of shoot the shit about women's soccer post world cup fallout and a lot of fun stuff so enjoy the episode and we will catch you guys on the monday pod back to veterans minimum baby lamb here alan here and yes if you guys are wondering i've been solid since sunday i I don't know what that means like a semi i've been erect since sunday afternoon at around 7 30 well there you go folks (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, if you guys expected anything other than that, I guess I don't know what to tell you. But Daniel Jones, Sir Daniel Jones, my Daniel, lit it up, man. I think, you know, if you guys know the show, you know that obviously we would start with that. Yeah. So I know I, you kind of shitted on my parade a little bit, telling me that it was the Bucks defense, but I, I do also have some breaking news that might worry you. Josh Norman just said, per my buddy at New York Post, Zach Brazier said, "Who says we can't run the table?" Wow. Well, first of all, he can't run with anyone anymore. Taylor Gabriel proved that. And, Salute the turbo. Oh my God, dude, Taylor Gabriel, right? So I play the showdown DFS late, which is the one game matchup, and like I have so much Allen Robinson, I have so much, so much Mitchell Trubisky, and David Montgomery, and I had a really good shot, really good shot, even after the second touchdown to oh. Gabriel. Man, that last one just kind of ended me. And shout out to Josh Norman, who can't cover anyone anymore. But Daniel Jones, the time is now. <sighs> delivered what so what do you think because obviously i have a lot to say but what did mm-hmm. you think uh, he looks very composed which i wasn't all surprising i know look i've, I've been very critical of the bucks stevens because i think the bucks are one of the worst run organizations in the league but i do think todd Bowles has still done some good things there and you know, they got some talent dude shaquille barrett has eight sacks in three games and he was giving nate soldier the business i don't know that nate soldier contract i don't know when they're gonna get out of it but maybe they need to sue but uh, i just like the fact that Daniel jones once again was able to just handle the pressure, which I think we kind of recognize given that the lack of supporting cast at Duke. But it's just cool to see not just the, the athleticism aspect of how he plays, but just the Giants actually had a vertical passing game. Like he actually connected with Ingram and Shepard downfield. And just to actually see the Giants throwing the ball downfield effectively and seeing Ingram, who I think besides the main three tight ends, you know, you talk about Kelsey, Ertz, and Kittle, I think Ingram's right there. Like, I always liked him as a talent. I think he just, some of the catches he makes, just what he brings to the table as a vertical asset, I think Ingram is upper echelon. So just to see, and when we talk about rookie quarterbacks, what's one of the things you like to see? A uh, reliable tight end. Right. Uh, yeah, a lot of younger quarterbacks, they want to have that tight end. So uh, I who can't be impressed with Daniel Jones? That touchdown to Shepard, couldn't ask for a better ball placement. And just even after the couple of turnovers, like, yeah, there were some ugly fumbles, but look, that's going to happen with rookie quarterbacks. So, yeah, I think fans obviously, be, obviously should be optimistic, but, of course, temper expectations a little bit. But how can you not be encouraged after, what, three seasons of abysmal quarterback play? Now you got something special on your horizon, hopefully. Well, I, I think you're being very generous to Eli Manning saying three years. I think it's it dates back even further. Um, you know, you mentioned the vertical passing game. And would you say that the players seemed inspired, the offense at least? Sterling Shepard looked like he was going on another level. And Sterling Shepard, I always felt, was very underappreciated and a little underutilized because I always thought, he, like, if you put Sterling Shepard in New Orleans, he's catching 80 passes or with a elite quarterback. So uh, seeing him, and I think they ran a jet sweep with him as well. It's mm-hmm. just good to see him featuring, like as I mentioned, Evan Ingram. He's someone that should be the focal point of this offense. And now uh, it'll be interesting how Golden Tate fits in uh, the following week because I think he has one more game on suspension. Yep. So uh, even though it's a weird fit Golden Tate there, he's still it's Golden Tate. The guy is one of the best receivers after a catch. He's going to make things happen. So, yeah, there's a lot of encouragement. And I do think the Giants offense line you're seeing once again besides, you know, it was critical soldier. But, you know, the offense line is one of the better ones in the league, I think. Wow. Uh, that last statement definitely is eye-opening. One yeah. of the better offensive lines. They're winning that Zeitler-Vernon trade. Oh, without a doubt. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to the Browns in yeah. a little bit. But, you know, um, I don't want to toot my own horn, but it's as if someone on the show last week was telling you that this was exactly what was going to happen when you insert Daniel Jones, who also, we talked about this before we started recording, the Giants 
have a quarterback that is a 2019-2020 quarterback, right? The modern era. He scored three touchdowns that Eli Manning could not score. Both scrambles. First of all, you're not running any uh, quarterback keeper with Eli Manning, right? And I know that video was going around about he scored like a 20-yard rush against the Bucs like many years back, right? But was Rondé Barber still playing? He was on commentary. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Who knows? But the throw to Shepard too into the end zone, it's just, it just throws that Eli Manning cannot make nowadays. And it's plays that Eli Manning cannot run. And look, it's... I think Eli Manning, Eli Manning is handling as best as he can, and I think it's very telling as to what kind of guy he is. It's the passing of the torch. There's nothing mm-hmm. wrong. You've been tremendous, right? It's just time, right? right? And I don't want to spend too much time on reiterating what I said last week, but what I saw from the Giants also, they lost Barkley with like – they were down 15 when they lost Barkley in right. the second quarter. So they did all of that without, my opinion – Humble opinion. I think he's the best running back in the league. Yeah. For what he's had to deal with the last 16 games and change with Eli Manning, the corpse of Eli Manning playing quarterback, mm-hmm. and the entire defense collapsing on him, right? Eight-man boxes. Eight-man boxes all the time. And not only that, when you do swing passes out to him, he's being tackled at the line of scrimmage unless he makes someone miss because mm-hmm. they know Eli Manning cannot open up mm-hmm. the things downfield. Yeah. And that's also what you saw with, with Daniel Jones. There was one play he made. I think the best throw that he made was the play to Darius Slayton deep downfield where he's All like right. rolling out to his left and he's throwing it sort of across his body, mm-hmm. I guess. They were on a lot more play actually, I noticed the Giants because I'm not going to pretend like I watch full Giant games because uh, there are a lot of better teams to watch these days, but uh, I just noticed through the highlights, they were on a lot more play action. And Daniel Jones, he's someone that could, you know, if you wouldn't do something with the bootleg, you'll find Ingram crossing or find Shepard. And yeah, because the thing with the Giants, they have a decent supporting cast. This team isn't hopeless. Like they have weapons. It's just. They dude, haven't been Eli's utilized. limitations. It's yeah, just, man. Yeah. Dude, that's what I've been, I, was, I was telling people. And, yeah. and sometimes it's hard when you talk about your favorite team. People are like, yo, you're biased. Or, but I like to think I'm very objective with them. And one thing that I was telling people is that you've seen it in the past, right? The MLB playoffs are starting within the next two weeks. And Justin Verlander, I've mentioned this story many times in the past. He gets traded to the Astros a couple years ago. And he was on Detroit for all these years. And Detroit was like a 71 team. And he was at the tail end of his career. That's what we thought. And it was like, yeah, Verlander hasn't been good because the team sucks. And there's something about that jolt of energy and that, you know, you get rejuvenated when you go out there and you're like, oh, shit, you know what? If I actually run a 20-yard post, I might get the ball. Mm-hmm. And look, look what happened to Baltimore last year. Yeah. Sparked the playoff run. They've lost two games, and I think both were – Regular Kansas- season to Kansas yeah. City. Yeah, yeah, in Kansas City. Right. So, yeah, it's just something that needs to be – in your handicap and in your analysis, it's like, yo, I've kind of disappeared a little bit, but that's because I've been playing on a shitty team or with a shitty supporting cast all these years. And that's exactly what you saw with the Giants. Again, Sterling Shepard, I think that was great analysis on your end where I've always felt that he was an underrated slot receiver. Ideally, I would have loved to see him in in a, you said Saints, I think a Packers would have been dope, mm-hmm. that underneath guy. Yeah, I think absolutely. that's, you know, Perfect I replacement for Cobb. Yeah, yeah. And I and I mentioned Emmanuel Sanders as a guy that I would have loved to see in Green Bay. Yeah. He's um, in our world of suck right now. Apparently. Yeah, man. I feel so bad for that guy. <laughs> that quote, though. <laughs> you got to start using that quote. So I think what you saw with Daniel Jones is exactly that. And you saw the Giants. Now, we haven't seen a quarterback like that in the last decade. And I, I, I mean... For the Giants, you haven't had a guy that can extend plays. Anyone gets around Eli Manning, he just collapses. Mm-hmm. 
And look, he's played with a lot of shitty offensive lines, and it could be because he has just been scarred. He just has happy feet, and you can't correct that, and that could be it. But I think now the Giants have a quarterback that is a 2018, 2019 quarterback and beyond. You have a guy that's mobile. You have a guy that can make plays. And look, we've seen it before. You know, there's uh, tweets going out. My buddy Taron, who hosts behind the scenes, he's like, well, Mitchell Trubisky threw six touchdowns against the Bucks." And I get that. That's when Mike Smith was courted him. Salute to the man. Mike Smith, unfortunately, yeah. got fired like yeah. three games later. But, <laughs> but you know, um, yeah, if you give up six touchdown passes to Mitchell Trubisky, I think your job should be he, in question. He actually got fired after the Falcons game. They came back from a bye. They allowed like 28 points the first half. And it's like, all right, you got to go Mike Smith. So, yeah, I, Trubisky definitely padded stats quite a bit. But but I think going back to the Giants, and, and I think we could wrap up on the boner that I have for Daniel Jones. It's just that I think – it was a spark to the offense. Now, the defense should show. Completely different. I went out and I sang Janoris Jenkins' praises. I think he needs to change his uh, his Twitter handle to lockdown because, man, that guy got undressed. I don't know if a team would trade like a six-round pick for him at this point. Like <laughs> Maybe so is desperate. <laughs> his his trade value has definitely taken a huge hit. But, you know, the I've, I've seen the Giants miss, not miss, but be on the receiving end of Iconic field goals. Uh, Elliot from the Eagles a couple of years ago hit like a 63 yarder in the link, and the Giants came back and it's like, well, I'm happy that one went our way, you know. So Bruce Arians, we love Bruce Arians. I think the whole football world is Bruce Arians, but he specifically said we want a, we're gonna take the delay game and then we'll have like a two yard. I think they lost two yards on running play just so the kick kicker is more comfortable kicking deeper. Why? How? Like? Okay, so I actually have a I have a. This was a big conversation in, yeah, in my like, group chat with my buddies. Because right? Bruce Arians isn't like, like when you listen to Bruce Arians, you respect every word he says. Like he isn't. This isn't coach speak. This isn't like Hugh Jackson getting on the microphone. Like, so I'm just like, why? Like I'm curious. Right. Okay. So I actually have a tremendous source for this okay. for kicking. Uh, me because right. I kick. Okay. <laughs> I was gonna say you, you got like I'm Terry on the line. <laughs> all right. So here's the thing, right? And I had this comment. I was trying to explain it to my buddies too in the group chat. So all this fuckery started with the kickers when they backed up the PAT. Right. That's really when it came into play where now you kind of, when your team scores a touchdown, it's no longer, all right, let's get to kick. It's like, no, yo, I can't go grab a beer quick because my kicker might miss a PAT. Last year, uh, Justin Tucker. Just going to mention that. And then his face was like, even the announcer was like, Justin Tucker just missed the PAT. Goskowski's missed a few this year. He's missed a bunch. Yeah. A bunch. I think in the playoffs, he missed one against right. the Broncos. And that ultimately, they had to go for two right. when the Broncos... Was that 2015? Yeah, Super when the Broncos Bowl won the Super Bowl. So unless Broncos are relevant. Sorry, the Broncos fans. Uh, yeah, and uh, the Gronkowski play into the end zone, the two-point conversion. Right. So what happens is this, and this is what I've been able to explain to people, and I've also had my kicking coach tell me that you're right this is spot on on this is back in the day kicker is the worst position to play in football because first of all you don't practice with the team they need you for maybe 90 seconds throughout a three-hour practice when i used to play in college and you literally just kick on the sideline into the net and you don't know how your leg is feeling you don't visual uh, a lot of kicking is mental obviously and it's also like you know you look past the uprights you always try to find like you know, seat number 23 and row eight. That's where you want to zone in on because, you know, you look, the the, the micro is, is, is a better vision for you mentally than the macro, mm-hmm. right? So you look past the uprights. And what happens is when you back up the PAT, 
It's now an actual field goal attempt. It's a 33-yarder where it used to be a 20-yarder. And you were able to come in there. You know, your team scores a touchdown. You could hit maybe one or two PATs before you attempt a 50-yarder. So you know how you're feeling. It's sort of like a golf swing. It's very similar to a golf swing where, like, you can you can drive all you want, but when you get out on the, on the course, it's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. So it's all a mental thing. I think now when you back it up, the kicker thinks, well, this is an actual field goal, mm-hmm. but it's a PAT. Right. With all that being said, you cannot miss under 40 yards. That's the one thing that my kicking coach... Especially Adam in Tanowski, Tampa. Yes. Yes, with their history, right? Have they been good at kickers since they got your boy, Matt Bryant? I don't think so. Like, with Jose Aguayo, that flopped. I couldn't even name you the rest of them. I think they had uh, the Italian Costanzo. Um, they might have. Yeah, it's just... It's been a rotate. Just... Like twenty kickers there. It just this franchise. I think are cursed. I think the Chargers are cursed. Not even Dan Bailey could save the Vikings. The Vikings. Uh, the Bears. Oh God, Bear fans. Even the Jets too. Oh Jets. The yeah. Jets have had bad kicking yeah. woes. I, I, Back from I, Doug. Uh, was it Doug Bryan back in 04? Yeah, yeah. Where they went out and they spent either a first or second round pick on Nugent. Wow. Remember out of Ohio State. Yeah, I it was Ohio it was. State. Yeah, and it's because of the kicker woes. So that's what it is with the kicker, and. With all that being said, my kicking coach, Adam Tanowski, has a really successful kicking camp. I want to get him on the show one time. Mm-hmm. He tells me, he's like, dude, don't miss under 40. Mm-hmm. Just don't. He's like, come on. Like, even if you miss hit that, even if you don't get enough behind it, if you're a kicker, that should be money. Just be accurate. Just be yeah. accurate. Just be perfect under 40. That's yeah. really what he instilled in me. And that was something when I would go to camps that I was able to be successful at when they would chart my kicks. I would never miss under 40. Mm-hmm. Now, when you go over 40, 40 to 50 range, he's like, try to be at like 90%. And then anything over 50, like, look, that's that's a bomb, mm-hmm. a 50-yard field goal, you know? But that's really what it is with the kicking aspect as it gets moved back further and further. And it never makes it easier for it to be moved back because it's a mental thing, right? right. A 45-yard field goal attempt sounds a lot easier than 50. Just saying it, mm-hmm. in my mind, it's like, oh, 45, that's light. Okay. And it's five yards. Right. So it's it's completely different for a kicker. And that's what I think. Bruce Arians should have just taken the L on that. Yeah. Just be like, yo, that was just bad bad judgment on my part. Yeah, because uh, you know the term coach speak, right? Where coaches just spew nonsense. It's just the most generic terms. Bruce Arians isn't like that. He'll call things out. Look what he just did OJ Howard. He's like, oh, he's not playing good. Like, So I was really shocked for him to say it. But uh, maybe it was just after the game, he didn't know what to say. It's hard. Like, just post-game press conferences, like I've been there. And just you know, listening to Dan Quinn, he's just mumbling. He's just trying not to be too aggressive. But you could tell he's so pissed off. But uh, at Going back to Daniel Jones, though, this week, he's going to break some records. He's going against the Redskins. It's a great matchup. <laughs> Shit, I think that game has 45-40 written all over it. Cause Case Keen was putting up 40. Yeah. He's even playing. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think, you know what? If if I was the Redskins, I would do what the Giants did. I would I would throw Dwayne Haskins out there now. Why not against the Giants? I think they would have announced it by now. It's sure. One, yeah, that's fair. It's yeah. Wednesday. We are recording it a day earlier than yeah. usual. Yeah, that's right. I agree with you on that, but I just think well, I think the Giants had it planned out that way. We're not going to throw him in Dallas, really good defense. We're not going to play him against Buffalo, really good defense. Let's give Eli the opener. Let's give Eli the home opener also, and then let's if we're going to throw him to the Wolves, Tampa Bay is not the worst option to throw him into. Pretty nice stadium, probably then, just area. And then and then you have Washington coming in, who yeah. now it seems like Josh Norman is toast. The defensive line is pretty aggressive. I will say yeah, that a bunch of Alabama boys. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you know what? I, I felt bad for that Redskin defense because I didn't think they played bad on Monday night. The secondary did, yeah. but I didn't think 
the the front seven played bad, but they got you know, players there. Yeah. Allen Payne, Kerrigan, when, when Case yeah. Keenum throws an interception, and then you start inside your twenty yard line, it's like how it's I can only deflating. do I can yeah. only do so much. Yeah. So I think that Redskins defense is kind of underrated. The secondary is is abysmal. I know uh, Quentin Dunbar didn't play for them last week, but Landon Collins, uh, same issues with him. Nice tackler in space, but can't cover for shit. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what you're thinking. And Josh Norman, man, I always talk about. It. I know he's up there in age, but corner year to year. There's just a significant drop off where guys just can't. It seems like they can't cover. Now Marcus Peters is playing. I want to say great, but he's playing better now too. And there's a weird split thing with him and Talib in the lineup when like really? Talib's in. Okay, it's like he's it. like an uh, an all pro corner again. But when Talib's out, I don't know if it's maybe they put Talib on the more physical, bigger wide receivers, mm-hmm. and they put Peters on guys that he can match up with. Better. So I remember Talib was out like six weeks last year. Right, I'll never forget Michael Thomas went for like two fifty, and oh, I yeah. believe like two hundred eight was on like P- uh, Peters. So. Yeah, I just who knows what those matches, but oh, look, the Giants though, as a lot of people are saying now, they're watchable. It's gonna be fun. Yeah, look, my my biggest my biggest hope coming into the year, and I'll say it again: give me five and eleven right now, but give me Daniel Jones to be the answer. Give me how look. I know he got mono, but I think if you ask Jet fans, they're happy with Darnold, right? Give me that. Jets went four and twelve last year, and a lot of Jet fans were kind of excited because. I finally got a franchise quarterback. Mm-hmm. That's what I wanted in 2019 with Daniel yeah. Jones, and I think I think I got that. And then who knows what cap space finally start being seventy more million dollars, there. man. Why not yeah. spend that money? You, you, People want to play with Danny Dimes. <laughs> Do they want to deal with David Gettleman though? That's a big question. Yeah, and, and you know what's funny is Baker Mayfield's been getting a lot of heat now. He came Ooh. out. He's talking a lot, just in general. The Browns have just been talking a lot from their comments on the Giants and Odell and, you know, Daniel Jones comments that went around and Baker Mayfield now taking shots at Rex Ryan also. Rex went on first, to be fair. But right. at this point, especially the way Baker's playing, you might not want to be doing too much uh, spitballing, I guess. So <laughs> Browns are sitting at one and two. Um, you know, everyone plays that win-loss, win-loss game when the schedules come out and whatnot. And I kind of had the Browns at one and two after three weeks. Wow. I've had... You had them losing in Tennessee. We're yeah. losing the Jets. That, that, that was my favorite pick of the weekend. Wow. Five and a half points. That, that was my favorite pick of week one. I, I, I even said out, outright win. I thought Tennessee's defense was severely underrated. The matchup in the trenches, I think, is big. And I'm not going to overreact because... You know, right now, you know who the seventh seed is in the AFC? If you had to guess, it's going to shock you. It can't be the Colts, right? No. I love the Colts. Um, The Raiders? The Raiders. <laughs> so, you know. John Pitt- Gruen, boys. Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh goes out. They trade another draft pick for Nick Vanetta, and people are questioning. But it's like, yo, they're 0-3. Last year, the Texans were 0-3. Their schedule coming up is not the worst. I know they have Baltimore there, but they play them at home. Yeah. Right? And I think with... They have the Monday night game at home against the Bengals also. Nine and seven might win that last wild card spot. And it's still close enough where it's not ridiculous for you to make a run. Yeah. Colts last year, one and five, made the playoffs. Texans 0-3 won their division. Now, I'm not saying the Steelers are going to do that. But going back to the Browns, they're one and two. They're exactly where I thought they would be after three three weeks. But they're also exactly what I thought they would be after three weeks. Baker looks very skittish. Uh, you could just tell. I don't, I'm not sure if maybe Freddie Kitchens doesn't fully trust him, but you know Baker does not trust that O-line. And I just think going into the season, like you're building this roster up. And a guy like John Dorsey, very credentialed, had a great track record in Kansas City. 
I just am shocked that they would just let it be this way. Like, you know, Greg Robinson's been awful everywhere he goes. He had maybe six good games last year, but I think it was a lot of just scheme and a lot of slime protections his way. I don't get how they do that. And then Hubbard looked lost. I know the Rams make a lot of people go, but like, Clay Matthews was getting pressure. Like, Clay Matthews has been kind of washed the last two years. So it was just very concerning. Obviously, Donald did his thing. But I just think with that offense, especially a guy like Baker Mayfield that likes to freelance in the pocket, likes to take chances, you need at least some suitable amount of protection. Other than Botonio and Shredder, I don't like that O-line at all. And I kind of was a little worried about it, but I just thought the talent would and just the schematic because Freddie Kitchens call a lot of good games. And between him and Monken, they have some real good creative play callers. I thought they could at least get through the sketchy O-line. That's not the case at all. My biggest concern for them coming in is, one, the, I guess it's my knowledge of sports betting and just knowing, like, public perception. Why not? Everyone was just dick riding the Browns coming in. And they were. Earl Thomas will tell you that. I don't fourth, know if you saw Earl Thomas quote. Yeah, today. dude, they were the fourth favorite to win the AFC. And it's like, huh? You know? Actually, it's not that crazy when you think about it, but it's, I would have put them, like, fifth or sixth, but. I would have put him like seventh, eighth. So you, oh, you didn't have him in the playoffs then? No, I didn't. Okay, I, I didn't. Did. I had, I didn't win the division. I had the Steelers <laughs> winning the division. I had Baltimore being better than them, despite Baltimore not making the playoffs. I think that's a, uh, uh, that's gonna make me look foolish a lot. Um, also, the Dallas take, even though I have them at three and three after three weeks, mm-hmm. um, still kind of looks bad because you know Dak just took it to another level this year. But staying with the Browns, uh, I was very worried about the offensive line. You mentioned the Giants' offensive line. The Vernon trade. Vernon, I watched Vernon. I was very excited when he came in because when he came in from the Dolphins, Vernon was a guy who he wasn't getting 12, 15, 18 sacks, but he was top five in QB hits. Yeah. Which sustained pressure. Yeah. He was able to get there. Now, he wasn't able to get the sacks, but he's there. And, you know, I think another guy who has never had a double digit sack year is. Graham from the Eagles. Brand Graham. But always PFF wrong. is like a they have a boner for this guy yeah. because he's always like top ten in pressure. Right. It's like, yeah, give me that. Chris Long, the same thing. Mm-hmm. The the Eagles didn't have a fifteen sack guy when they won the Super Bowl, but they had a lot of guys that were like top twenty five in pressures on quarterbacks, right. which is ultimately what you want. So Vernon was a guy who was able to get to the quarterback. But again, I went on this rant on degeneration bets where I think the biggest issue is we live in the fantasy era and everyone wants to talk about fantasy football and wide receivers and Odell and Jarvis and Njoku and, and Baker at your quarterback Chubb. and Chubb in the backfield. And it's like, oh shit, they got like so many weapons. Kareem's come back in November. Kareem <laughs> Hunt is coming back also. You got Miles Garrett there. You got Vernon. You Denzel Ward. Denzel Ward, right, yeah. right? You got Greedy Williams, who I thought was arguably the best corner in the draft because mm-hmm. sort of the pedigree of LSU, like you're an LSU corner. I love it right away. It's mm-hmm. like, you're going to be great. Just like, just like, uh, it, it's just fitting, you know? Right. And they lose Zietler. He goes to the Giants. You you said something that I thought I would never hear again in my life is that the Giants have one of the best offensive lines in your opinion. They're looking solid. And he's, yeah. he's one of the reasons why. And you see the issues that the Browns have on he their He was the highest line. paid guard. Cleveland paid. Like, that's why yeah, I'm shocked they, they just let they him go. they broke the bank on him. Yeah. For a guard, he was like, it was like, damn, I know he's good, but like, that's a lot of money. To you know the Bengals aren't paying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Bengals aren't yeah. paying anyone. They've lost a lot of guys on their offensive lines Whitworth. over the years. Whitworth, the yeah, most notable yeah. one. So with the Browns, my issues were that. Like, Baker is talented. And, guys, full disclosure, I'm just trolling on Twitter when I say the dumb shit about Daniel Jones. I'm just trying to get, like, you know, I'm channeling Raising my, some hell. Yeah, raising some hell. <laughs> and getting people talking, you know. But with Baker Mayfield, you're right. 
when it seems like when he thinks about it too much or if he holds on to the ball, those next-gen stats are saying anytime he lets go of the ball under 2.5 seconds, it's like he's up there with like Carson Wentz and Mahomes, like the MVP years. Yeah. When he holds on to it longer, it's also you get the pressure. A lot of rolling out, too, because he doesn't trust his offensive line. So he's dropping his eyes a lot too when he sees pressure. And that's exactly yeah. the big issue when you have when you have no trust in your offensive line. Mm-hmm. I think it was Keen Fay who says he's like uh Brown fans don't admit this, but Baker Mayfield starting to show a lot of Trubisky tendencies. I was like, that might not be the worst comparison. Hey <laughs> he leads the entire NFL in interceptions since 2018. And also, wow. I've mentioned this before, he's a guy who's a spiteful fuck. Like Seven touchdowns, no interceptions against the Bengals last year. The two times that Hugh Jackson was on the other end, right? So, Baker Mayfield, I take him for a guy who, big chip on his shoulder, right? Walk on, transferred schools and whatnot. Undersized, wins the Heisman. Made fun of for being the number one pick and called a, not, I wouldn't say a bust, but it's like, yo, why would you take him over Darnold and whatnot or even Rosen? And I was in that camp too. I'm not going to front. Like, I was in that camp too. But then you look at a guy like Lamar Jackson, who at this very moment, probably the best quarterback of that class. Has to be just based on and also he doesn't track record. I think he has two interceptions he's thrown. A lot of dumb throws. He made that one throw that was <laughs> that's a straight Madden. Thing. That's a Madden when you hit the wrong button. Like oh shit, I hit X. I wanted to hit B. Oh, just cross field. <laughs> so with Baker Mayfield, I think the biggest issue is that he drops his eyes. Yeah, that's that's absolutely. I just don't think he knows when to realize the play is over. Like remember they botched the snapping. He still tried handing it off and almost fumbled. It's just like he, I think he's just too stubborn for his own good. And I do think the pressure is getting to him. Like you see, he is forcing again. But I don't think Freddie Kitchen's play calling. Like that was there was one third down where he had like two receivers running go routes and then Odell's running a deep cross. So it's like third and ten. Third and ten. And, they and you're going against the Rams. Like this is a secondary that has Peters, Talib, Weddle. I think uh, J- Josh Johnson or Josh Jackson. Ah, but Johnson. It's Johnson. Johnson the third. I think yeah. he's one of the better safeties in the league. Like Rams got secondary. And you got going against Wade Phillips too. Like. You, you got to get creative. That's why I think the scary thing is with the Browns. Because last year, they were known as one of these more dynamic, new school, innovative teams. And now you're seeing Freddie Kitchens 4-9 running a draw play. Like, So do you think they just... Because I believe there was a penalty on that drive. Do you think that was just they completely whiffed on what down it was? No, I think they're trying to get cute. Like they thought they were going to catch the Rams off guard. They thought maybe Donald would just shoot up the gap like he always does. I think that's why the Rams had a bad run D last year because they just weren't disciplined. You had guys like Sue and Donald where they just want to wreck plays. They're not, there's not much discipline there. So I thought maybe they could catch him off guard. But it's just it's fourth and nine. You know who never gets love on that Rams defense? Littleton. He's starting to become – him and Johnson, those are, those guys. Those are guys stars. are the unsung yeah. heroes of that defense. Dante Fowler is starting to look like a real – Well, Fowler, they gave up a f- first-round pick or – No, definitely not. I think third. Third? Yeah, yeah first seems steep. steep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but he's starting to come on. This Ramsey looks real good. But I just think the issue with the Browns, it's just I, between Kitchens, his play calling, this Baker looking very skittish. Because I I thought he was – just him and Odell, I thought they were going to click right away. And Odell's still looking decent, but it's just – so many drives are getting stalled in that game, and this Odell became a non-factor. And this is a primetime game. This is the round's first real true test, and it was kind of a dud. Now, granted, I thought they held together well defensively, especially without both their starting corners and their free safety and strong safety didn't play either. Like Miles Garrett, uh, Miles Garrett, him and Aaron Donald, those are the two biggest freaks in the league right now. We got to watch them both. Like it was still an enjoyable game, but I just thought uh, it was a winnable game for Browns because I thought golf didn't play well at all, but. 
it's just, I don't know. I just given all the expectations and all the buzz about Freddie Kitchens, he's looked very overwhelmed. I think he's more of a concern than Baker at this point, although it's pretty close. Their next five games. I want you to tell me what do you think their win loss will be in those next five games. Ready? At Ravens this week. At Niners. Home to Seattle. Bye week. At New England. At Denver. They're losing to Ravens. Don Marndell's going to eat them alive. I don't think they beat... I think San Fran's... Very, I love Shannon, but I think they're very overrated. Bro, don't you dare slander the marks. I Did love, you see them? the videos going around of them? They were at uh, SmackDown the yeah, other night. Kittle could cut a hell of a pro with them. Uh, Kittle's amazing. He's a, yo, I, 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 I wouldn't say I met Kittle, but we waved at him mm-hmm. because I went to the Ring of Honor uh, New Japan show, the G1 Supercard oh, in MSG. Is this a fan? Yo, he was over there with the... He headbutted the Briscoe brothers from <laughs> ROH. He's, he's yelling, yeah. SoCal, SoCal, motherfucker. Like, like he was Nate Diaz coming in, bro. Yo, George Kittle. So, and they showed him on the Jumbotron yeah. and stuff. And like he has like, uh, he he likes all the wrestling posts and whatnot. So he's he's becoming one of my favorite players. Yeah. Like, he's fantastic, sure. but also being a mark kind of yeah. helps it. I, I do think they beat San Fran. I do think they beat Seattle. Definitely lose New England and they'll beat Denver. So so you have them at three and two. It's very optimistic though. I'm still banking on that talent. And I do think getting guys like Denzel Ward back would be So big. three and two would put them at four and four. Not ideal, but I think they'll take it given the struggles and a lot of the pressure on them. And then they have three straight home games against Buffalo, no Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers and the Dolphins. So this could be a situation where you might be right. They might be seven and four going into that game. Seattle game I think is very tricky because you never know. Because obviously them traveling, but just a Pete Carroll coach team. Because I think that's the biggest concern right now for me with the Browns. It's like, I don't know if they're really well coached. I think Steve Wilkes is doing a decent job there. I know Steve Wilkes became the most hated man last year, just how awful the Cardinals were. But I think he's a credible D coordinator. But at some point, we got to see. I don't know if Todd Munkin's got to take over to play Colin or Kitchens just has to get back to just be more creative because just their route concepts. And I think Chubb's being a little underutilized. So I just things are very bland in Cleveland when they shouldn't be, given the roster talent. All right, staying with the North Division, but kind of pivoting over to the NFC side. Uh, I don't know how many people saw this coming, but best division in football, you think, Alan? How can it not be? Just look at the teams there. Uh, I knew going to season three teams that were going to compete. Look at just uh, what was going on in Green Bay. You knew they had to be better. Just getting rid of Mike McCarthy itself, definite upgrade, and spending all that money on the defense. You knew the Vikings were going to be somewhat back, given that they were kind of beat up last year, and you expect – Without with DiFilippo getting fired, do you think just getting the identity back offensively? And Chicago, there's too much talent that defense for them not to be competitive. Detroit was the one team I think everyone kind of rid off, and I did, I did. Yeah. I, I said six and ten, kind of just it was the team I was the least prepared for on my notes. Um, I don't know, just until proven otherwise, kind of just like written them off. Mm-hmm. And I can't lie, two very impressive wins against both the Chargers and the Eagles. Mm-hmm. They're just even, scrappy. Even yeah. if they looked ugly, yeah, right. And I know they had a block. block there was a blocked field goal in one. There was a. There was an Austin Eckler fumble inside the five. There was a crazy kickoff return. Yeah, a, a, a typical Philip Rivers interception that kind of just like just you have all this momentum coverage. and it's like, <laughs> what the hell, Philip? God damn it! You had the nuns in the crowd too that you were going and saluting. Oh. And you still threw that pass. So, and you have to be. All these teams are above five hundred, and. The one loss that the Vikings have is in division to the Packers, who are undefeated. So the Bears. 
And the Bears. Yeah. The Bears too. Uh, yeah, that's right. The, the the opener. Um, so tell me more. How do you feel about this division, man? Like, how would you? How about this one? How do you rank the quarterbacks? Oh, this is easy. I would go Rogers, Stafford, Cousins, Trubisky. Stafford Cousins going to year was a little competitive. I think Stafford's actually playing really well this year. I know there was a lot of criticism last year because they got all conservative, but and there's still questions about Bevel. I know a lot of people don't like Bevel for obvious reasons, but like that Eagles game, Stafford was dealing. Him and Marvin Jones were connecting a lot, and it was just crazy. And Amendola's been quietly a good pick. I, I I know he gets injured, but Amendola's a threat. Like, yo, that offense is kind of sneaky. Yeah. I love carry on Johnson here, too. Same here. Hawkinson is going to be. I was telling Danny, I watched football with uh, our, our friend Danny, mm-hmm. and I was like, dude, Hawkinson, if you look at his measurables in the combine, they're up there with like the Evan Ingrams mm-hmm. and the, uh, I don't know how well like Travis Kelsey and Kittle, but he's like a top three guy all time at the tight end. Like he's he went a top f- 10 for a reason. Yeah, he's a freak. It. He's yeah. a freak of nature. Yeah. And, He's going to have those blow-up games like he had week one. I yeah. know it's the Cardinals, and now the Cardinals are like, like Will Disley is a big streaming option in your fantasy leagues this week, especially with another Greg game. Olson looked 25 years old against them. Greg Olson, <laughs> man, what a what a play that was in daily fantasy. But he's going to have that. Marvin Jones, solid number two option. I love Kenny Galladay. Love, there's a lot of – and even Amendola, that guy in the slot too, yeah. for as long as he could be healthy. That was healthy. a savvy pickup. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. So and they spent a lot of money. Kind of the the funny thing was that the, they're trying to do what the Patriots did with bringing in Flowers and some of the other guys, but it's hard to run against them. Snacks is over there too. M- Mike Daniels was a low key really good pickup. So they're building guys. I think the the whole skepticism about Detroit is just Matt Patricia is not very liked. Uh, there were reports of him not showing up to meetings last year, or at least being late to meetings, and then just a lot of veterans, guys like Darius Slay, were getting tired of it. Like he's a very, he's like a big ultra disciplinarian, and I just don't think that really flies into his coaching world. Like he just, it doesn't work unless you're Belichick. I know he comes from the Belichick coaching tree, but it's hard to take a guy like Matt Patricia overly seriously given his look and just look. The last time we saw him as a defensive coordinator, he was getting torched by Nick Foles, so didn't necessarily look good. So that was the most slept on thing about Matt Patricia mm-hmm. like he was giving up they were like a, the ultimate bend but don't break defense right they were giving up four or five hundred yard games to average quarterbacks that Alex Smith game yeah, yeah. and then it, it just so happened that they were really stingy inside the red zone and I don't know if that had a lot to do with Belichick also mm-hmm. I would say it did but yeah Patricia he I think he's ultimately going to be the demise for them at yeah. some point right. I think this is one of those you know, there's always a team that comes out like five and one, six and two, and then like goes seven and nine. Or you know, Carolina last year too. Granted, Cam got hurt and got banged up a little bit, but Carolina up until that game, that Thursday night game where they got absolutely blitzed by the Steelers, they were a team that was in the division. Cam talks. was getting MVP hype. Yeah, he yeah. was playing really well, and then so there's always a team that falls out. I would I would probably say them. Yeah. Because they haven't played in divisional games yet. I know the wins over the Chargers and the Eagles are very impressive. Those are two teams obviously made the playoffs. They were Super Bowl sleepers going into the year. So you're not taking anything away. But they were close games. There was a couple plays here and there. They could have lost it. So that's why I want to – I'm still not sure about Detroit. And Stafford, yeah, he has those games where three or four times a year he looks like a top five QB. But then the rest of the year it's just kind of middling play. You'll see some bonehead interceptions. and It's it, – they have a lot of talent. It's just I'm not sure if they could use it properly. And I don't think that secondary is all that great. I could see them getting exploited quite a bit. So, But I have to give them kudos because I thought Detroit could have been like a bomb five team in that entire league this year. So not bad. 
I'm a little upset Tim isn't on here to defend himself. But I think the Mitchell Trubisky hype train that I don't know, I kinda wanna give him credit for starting. And even even the talking up of that Bears offense and you know, you talked about uh Matt Patricia being a disciplinarian. There was a video that people are angry about where uh, Matt Nagy told Trubisky to shut the fuck up, oh, yeah. and people are outraged because he looks like, like a bit of a hothead. Yeah, man. but like God forbid, a coach like yeah. trying to discipline you, right? Like I had my high school football coach on here a couple of months ago, and we were just talking about like the state of 2019 co- coaching. Where like mm-hmm. back in the day, my coach, Coach Brosnan, he used to make fun of me for being Greek anytime I'd make a <laughs> dumb decision. He's like, "Oh, you stupid Greek!" Like, yeah. but like I never ran to my mom to tell her that. Like, no, that was I needed that. Mm-hmm. You know, I needed that tough loving and you know he did it in his for my best interest like it was he, he's my coach he's supposed to put me in the right mm-hmm. position to win and to succeed and some tough love isn't bad yeah it's 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 needed so i think with mitchell trubisky though getting back to that man he he looks clueless to me when i watch him can't throw to his left that's the whole big thing can't throw to his left uh, Throws into double coverage a lot. They really oh, he makes four or five bad decisions. Yeah. He reminds me of Eli Manning yeah. in the sense of <laughs> Eli <gamble>. Manning, <laughs> even at his peak, 2011, 20, 2007 to two thousand thirteen. I think was the prime Eli years. Right, I know he right. won the two Super Bowls there, but that's where he was at his absolute yeah. apex. <laughs> With that being said, even then, Eli Manning three four times a game. You are like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Right? What so, are you reading? Trubisky has like five five to eight of those, and also. Look at the outside of the throw that he made to Taylor Gabriel, which was also like five seconds of coverage, which at that point, it's it's like, yo, you can only cover for someone for so long. And Josh Norman is kind of toast now. A lot of just like dumping it off and let the wide receivers be skill players. Matt Nagy's one of the better play calls in the league. I think that's why, just based on his credentials, and look, Chicago went 11-5 last year. That's why I think he's not going to get much criticism for talking like that. So I don't think it just whether it's tough love or just... I don't think it's a, that big of a deal. I just think with Trubisky, just, I don't know. He just, like, everything with him is just so, he just has to react. Like, after his first read, he doesn't know what to do. First read's not there, he panics. Like, he, and I just, him and Allen Robinson, to me, they got to build some kind of rapport. It shouldn't be hard to build a rapport Allen Robinson. The way this, he can make any catch. Like, Allen Robinson, in traffic, wherever you throw it up to him, he's going to go get it. Like, I don't understand how these two haven't gone the same page yet. Well, I think I was uh, when we were watching that Thursday night football game, the opener. Allen Robinson could have had 280 yards in that game if 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 he was just Alex Smith. Right. Like if he had Alex Smith as a quarterback, he would have broke like single game records right. because it was unbelievable what he was doing to that Packers secondary, which in hindsight now looks even better and right. more impressive for Allen Robinson for how great that Packers defense and secondary has been. And look, they're gonna get tested on Thursday night. One of the reasons why we are recording earlier is because I told Allen like, hey man, I really want to watch this Thursday night football game. As someone who was very high on both of these teams, I had the Eagles as my number one seed. I had the Packers winning the wild card. I had them as a playoff team. But also, I love those two quarterbacks. It's just a game I really want to sit back and watch. Packers defense is going to get tested against Philly offensively. It's the best quarterback that I think the Packers have played. Has to be. Trubisky. Flacco. Flacco and who they play with? Kirk. Two? Kirk Cousins. Oh, boy. Speak of the Vikings. <laughs> Man, Kirk Cousins. Over under how many games he's going to throw more than 30 times this year. Because they, if they could have him throw 18 times a game, they will. And Dalvin Cook is playing at an unbelievable level, which I'm very happy for because I was very high on him coming into the draft. I got to see schedule because I feel like teams, I think they still have to play the Broncos. Like if they play bad teams, 
all they're going to do is just force three turnovers, give Cook the ball 15 times. Massa will come in for a bit. Cook will run a couple of bootlegs, maybe hit Thielen for a deep ball, and that's it. Like, I feel bad for people that drafted Stephon Diggs because I think Stephon Diggs, talent-wise, is a top 10 receiver. Like I think he's phenomenal. I, I would actually say he's better than Thielen just from a skill set standpoint, but he might get like 40 catches this year at this rate. And he got paid, too. Was it this offseason or last offseason? I think last offseason. And every single year, his numbers have improved, like, almost, I think it's like, uh, oh, I forgot what the number was, but every year they've improved by, like, 150 yards or something along those lines. And it's not going to happen because I think Minnesota's going to be a competitive team. He'd be a guy that I would like to see get traded. Talking about Diggs? Yeah. Diggs going to a team that would throw a lot. A team, I I can't think of a team off the top, but I think he would be a guy who, again, talking about being rejuvenated. Now it kind of seems like it's it's Thielen or Cook. Mm-hmm. Thielen got an end around inside the five yard line. You see I that a lot sick. now. Those inside, end. I was yeah. sick because I had Cook on all like yeah. my lineups on on daily fantasy, and I was just like, oh my god, we're just running with Cook, man. But hey, look, they scored. Look, they're first. winning. They're dominating, and I think Diggs, look, he's a hero. Like he shouldn't have to buy anything ever again in Minnesota. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm sure he doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't. So, but I just think the issue with Minnesota is right now is just I think we want to see more of them, but I think it just ultimately comes down to Kirk and that whole line because you know the defense is going to bring it. That pass rush, I think Griffin and Hunter are arguably the most productive edge-rushing duo in the league. Boss actually picked Daniel Hunter to lead the league in sacks this year. That's a good choice. Him and Miles Garrett, I think those are the two you want to go after because, dude, Hunter, I think, is still 24, and I feel, it feels like he's been in the league for six years. It's just unbelievable. And I think also with Minnesota, you just know Zimmer's going to dial up those double-A gap blitzes. No team runs it better than Minnesota, and you have athletic freaks and Barr and Kendricks. It's great. And uh, Harrison Smith's as reliable as it gets. And if Rhodes, I think the big thing is Xavier Rhodes has to stay healthy because those cornerbacks, it could get very iffy with Trey Waynes and Mackenzie Alexander. But if Rhodes stays healthy, I think just you got to look at the O-line, which is still a huge question mark. I really don't like too many guys on their O-line. Badbury, the first-round pick, struggled so far. But it's just Kirk in big games. Is he going to f- deliver? Like, will he not turn the ball over? Because you see in these big games, there's two or three decisions Kirk makes. It's just deflating, especially in the red zone. Like like I said last week, he's bottom I think bottom five in like every major statistical red zone category. So uh, Minnesota, we saw last year, they should have been a real contender, and they kind of faltered. So uh, I don't know. They should be. I think they're going to still make the wild card, but – it's just Kirk. He's so frustrating. We haven't really spent much time on the Packers. If I can go back to the summer, I wish I would have made some financial investments on them. They hit home runs on everything they've done in the offseason as far as the defensive side of the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen people call them the Smith brothers. They're not related, but it's just, you know, like you had the Smith brothers in uh, San Francisco, yeah. Alden and Justin. Correct. Justin Smith. Uh, you had the Williams guys in, in Pat and Kevin. Yeah. Oh, the Williams wall. Oh, oh my man. God, those two and Jared Allen. Oh, glory days. My Vikings fans coming out right now. Yeah, so you have you have that pairing there too. The um, Jair Alexander is Stud. absolutely balling again. It goes back to what I'm saying. There's always like a random dude that plays himself into like being a top ten, top five corner. And mm-hmm. Alexander, come December, we might be having those conversations. Like, yo, is is he the best corner in the league right now? We we don't know. And they spent a lot of draft capital on that defense, a lot of money on that defense. And did you happen to hear Aaron Rodgers after that last game against Denver? He said something about scotch. He said something about, well, this is the cleanest I've ever been. I might not even wash my jersey. He didn't get hit. He didn't get knocked down. He didn't get touched. And look, 
the Broncos. I don't know what's going on Denver. I, I gotta watch the Broncos. I, I understand, and that that might be the craziest. For me, that that's like a top five storyline. Like, how does Bradley Chubb and Von Miller not have sacks? Meanwhile, just a at, bet on talent. Like look yo, Shaq Barron, they, they they let him go. Like yo, yeah, that's right. Just yeah. a just a bet on talent. I would expect no matter what the scheme is, no matter what the fit is, like I don't care if Greg Williams is there. Von Miller <laughs> and Bradley Chubb combined should have at least eight sacks. I like Derek Wolf too. He's a nice solid. Right, player, yeah. right. But it's just so concerning if I'm a Broncos fan where yo, what happened? And Von Miller, yo, we're paying you big getting, money too. He's getting older too. I I understand. I understand. And it's still just a bet on talent, man. Like those guys should have sacks, right? And for Green Bay's always have a really good old line though. Like Bakhtiari, I think he's up there for best left tackle. You want to put him with Tyron yeah. Smith and Trent Williams. I hope he plays football at some point this year because I love watching Trent Williams. But Bakhtiari's up there. Yeah. Nate Solder? Not a- <laughs> <laughs> um so going back to Green Bay, Matt LaFleur wants to push this up tempo kind of offense. Sort of to like go more no huddle. I know Rodgers has played that. I still think Rodgers hasn't hit his ceiling with this offense yet. Yeah, it hasn't looked great. It hasn't looked great, and they're 3-0. and Like, someone should have beaten the Packers at this point because now you look at Green Bay, and again, I believe they played a third-place schedule this year. That was one of the biggest reasons with my handicapping of them mm-hmm. and why I regret not being higher on them from a financial standpoint. I think this could easily be a team that has a bye week this year. It's the North is so competitive. Like those it teams is, yeah, beat yeah. Up on each other. You but, know, they do have two but, wins. But they have two wins yeah. in that division. And yeah. I believe one of them was in Chicago. Right. So that game should be perceived to be easier coming into... And look, you're always going to have... Playing Chicago in September than compared to December. Yeah, I know they're a cold weather team, but still. At like, this very moment, the Packers play somebody. How many quarterbacks are better than Aaron Rodgers, would you say? Uh, they'll be playing this year. Pat Mahomes, that's about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's it, I think. That's the only time that when you step out on the field... Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's the comparison I make to Alex Smith and Kirk Cousins where it's fine. You like it. You enjoy it. And Daniel Jones might fall into that category, too. And Matt Ryan might be in that category. I don't know. You're a Falcons fan. Maybe you could respond to this. When you see a guy like Rodgers or Brady on the other side or or a guy like Phillip Pat Rivers. Mahomes, Phillip Rivers, you're at a disadvantage at the quarterback situation. Mm-hmm. So I think with Rodgers has just said, like, you know, I'm kept clean. I don't got to wash my jersey, and we finally have a defense. I think that's the most telling soundbite that I've heard this year. Mm-hmm. After that week one game, turns to Michelle Tafoy, and he goes, offense didn't look good, but, man, we have a defense. And he had that, like, smile on his yeah. face, that arrogant Roger smile, and it's very telling, man. For me, it's the first time since the Super Bowl year because I, I don't think everyone remembers when Green Bay won the Super Bowl, Rodgers won this phenomenal run, but they that defense was crazy good. This is when D- B.J. Raji, Charles Woodson, right, right. A.J. Hawk was really good. And also uh, Williams. Tremont Williams had a pick six against the Falcons. They they did beat the Falcons. And Aaron Rodgers had, had four incompletions the whole game. They, punted, they didn't punt once. I think the only time Atlanta got stopped was on a forced fumble where Greg Jennings got stripped like 35 yards downfield. Like They went to the Georgia Dome. Atlanta was on a bye. And they completely smoked them. Like, it was no contest. People were just like, whoa. And then Green Bay, then they played Cutler. Cutler got injured. The Bears. And then they won the Super Bowl. That's That was the, they won the, they beat the Eagles when the Eagles had Vic, their wild card. Once I saw that, I was like, oh, geez, Rogers come to Georgia Dome. I don't know what's going to end well. 
<laughs> yeah, you just know. You just but, know. But that team had a great defense. I think that's the biggest reason why they beat Pittsburgh in that Super Because that was a really good Pittsburgh team that year. They beat the they beat Rex Ryan's Jets. I forgot who else they beat. But but the fact that it's been this long, because you look at Aaron Rodgers, like he should have one more. He should have at least one or two. I know they botched the Seattle game. Which well, is bad. the thing with Rodgers, man, and I defend that too because I think, I think he's – Superstar, come on! Yeah, I think he's the best quarterback I've ever seen. Just now, he's not—he's not the greatest. The greatest is Brady, and I think we one day we should dedicate a segment to best versus greatest because I think Rodgers is the best quarterback I've ever seen. I think Brady is the greatest, mm-hmm. right? And I think it's fair to distinguish a difference between the two. With that being said, Pat Mahomes is closing in on Aaron Rodgers. That's that's a, a, another talking point. Yeah. But going back to Rodgers, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Where I think he should, for how good he is. How great he is. He should have more. But also, three straight losses in the playoffs where he doesn't touch the ball after tying or getting a lead in the fourth quarter. Right? right? The Seattle game where they they storm back and they get the onside kick mm-hmm. too. And then it's like um, a Jermaine Curse scores the game-winning touchdown. Right. right? Then you have the Cardinals, Larry Fitzgerald. Well, they right. do the two. People forget. I was watching NFL Network has been doing this top 100 plays thing of all time. Rogers throws two hail marys to like Jeff Janis in that game. Oh my god! I remember being I, at the I, bar. I, I, yeah, I remember. Were you at catch with me too? Were no, I don't think I was. No, I, don't I remember. Think. I I bet the Packers plus seven and a half, and I was like, "Yo, Espo." I turned to Espo, and Espo, me and Espo make like three bets a year, and I swear we we're like ninety percent when we agree on them. Uh-huh. Shout out to my guy Espo. But he's like, "Man, I, I just love taking the quarterback if he's getting points, like a guy like Rogers," and we did that. And I remember when it went to overtime, we sort of bet them on the money line to win outright and with the points. I was like, all right, worst comes to worst, we'll break even because they'll cover the spread because it was a seven-point line. They don't kick the extra point if you score a touchdown first. So no matter what, we're good there. Man, I go to get a beer, and I see Larry Fitzgerald spinning off two people, and he brings it inside the five. And I'm like, oh, my God. Rodgers didn't go, didn't get a chance to respond. And that's why I always say, and I don't know if I've ever talked to you about this, if I have a quarterback of a Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Brady, Mahomes, if I make an extreme comeback in the playoffs and I literally score a touchdown with no time left in the fourth quarter, man, with how inconsistent kickers are, I might go for two. Don't I mind. might go for two as opposed to me kicking the PAT, not knowing if it's going to go in, and then maybe not having a chance to answer in the, in. In overtime, you have to at this point because I think if you trust your offense, why not? I know that's why I'm saying yeah. I didn't say to do that with Daniel Jones yeah. and Sam Darnold. I'm saying, or even your boy Matt yeah. Ryan, and I love Matt Ryan yeah. too. I'm talking about if you have a quarterback with balls, mm-hmm. I would do that, mm-hmm. even if it doesn't work out. You need a coaching staff for it, though. Not there's yeah. a lot of conservative coaches out yeah. there. Yeah. So, but yeah, NFC North, I I think going to season was definitely one of the top divisions but we didn't think it'd be this good like a lot of people thought afc north was gonna be really good um maybe nfc south to some extent but just what the nfc north has done so far you have three pretty established contenders maybe two net we'll see what happens with chicago just the whole trubisky factor but they're gonna be competitive they have the best defense league i don't think anyone could dispute that detroit i think they'll fade in november but they're gonna they got talent you can't dispute that detroit they're gonna be a problem but i just don't trust that coaches have all right, we spent enough time on the NFC North. Definitely agree with you that it's probably the best division in football. Let's move on to some games of the week. Alan, give us, uh, kick us off with a game of the week. NFC North. Okay, staying in division on brand. Defensive slugfest on the horizon. Two very iffy quarterbacks as well. 
So I don't know because I remember last year when Chicago and Minnesota played, I think it was a Sunday night game. It was just a train wreck. You just saw these defenses going at it. But Kirk in particular, I remember he threw a pass. I think he was trying to hit Rudolph down the seam and just went right into Eddie Jackson's hand. I'm like, Kirk Cousins on the road, big game. What else is new? But it's just it's going to be fascinating to see who wins the turnover battle. I know it's a kind of a vague term, but this is one of those games where I think whoever wins the turnover battle wins this game. Like what defense pretty much carries their team is going to win this. Yeah, because you got to figure if they call some turnovers, give the offense a short field. That's going to be big. Uh, two teams with kind of suspect kicking, kicking game. Stan not- Bailey's kind of, ever since he got to Minnesota, I think it's just a curse. Like the Vikings got to be cursed. Yeah, because wasn't Bailey, first of all, I never understood why he got cut from Dallas. I Was think, it a contract thing? I think contract, which is very weird because I feel like he's like one of the boys there. Like he's one of Jerry's guys. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, because Maher's uh, doing good. So yeah, that's true. That's true. But Dan Bailey was, I believe, the most accurate kicker in NFL history at one point, like oh, three yeah. years in. And then, and then Tucker probably took it. Yeah, Tucker. Yeah. Man, Tucker is incredible. <laughs> Tucker, I think Tucker makes like, I think he signed a contract for like ten million dollars guaranteed. He's like the highest paid kicker of all time. Guys on a Mac. What, yeah, what yeah. Say? Hey, look, it's all funny games until you're you're, you're losing playoff games because you don't have a kicker. Yeah. You know. So talking about both of them. <laughs> Yeah, um, you know, using some stats here for PFF, you got two quarterbacks that are kind of suspect when it comes to their season grades. Um, shout out to my buddy Taryn, stats and info guy, does some work with PFF. Season grade for Trubisky, 47.2. Kirk Cousins, not much better, 49.6. Uh, you talked about the defenses. PFF has the Vikings as the ninth-ranked defense, Chicago third-ranked defense. Chicago's pretty stingy against the run, and that's what Dalvin Cook has been on f- 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 fire. I think he's a top five back. I'm already ready to say it. Like he's looks scary this year in terms of running backs. Just the way he's cutting, just the amount of tackles he's breaking. Like I don't know because I know he had some knee issues going to college, but you just see how explosive he is. Like I knew he was a banger, but I didn't think he was this explosive. The way he accelerates into open field, scary. And I'm interested to see like how guys like Trevathan and Roquan Smith handle him because I think those are two solid linebackers. They don't get enough credit, I think, when it comes to Chicago. Yeah, I I made the mistake of, you know, what's what the, the one downside to talking fantasy and having a, a show that's dedicated to fantasy and even having a sports show is when you play in a fantasy league with your friends, mm. and then they see some of your tweets and how you feel about certain players. I was so high on Dalvin Cook coming in, and I had a chance to draft him, and then my guy Impy took him, and. Dalvin Cook, man, going back to what I said about him at Florida State, his first year in the league, I know it was a small sample size because then he tore his ACL against the Lions, if I remember it correctly. It was Lions. He was having a similar usage rate, Le'Veon Bell, David Johnson. And I'm talking about that year where it was, if you were playing Daily Fantasy, it's like, all right, throw in Bell and Johnson in your lineup and then build around that. Like, yeah. waste waste about 20% of your well 30% of your salary on those two guys and just build around that. He was having 20 25 touch and and target game not 25 targets but he was getting a big workload and then he tore his knee. You know his offense coordinator from that time, right? Pat Shermer baby. Hey. Let's go. <laughs> Shermer, Shermer's the reason. I love Shermer now. You know why? Cuz he showed that he has balls. <laughs> All right? All right. Enough. We spent enough time about Daniel Jones and the Giants. He's got balls. But, but with, with Dalvin Cook, he is healthy. The reports are coming out in camp that he looks healthy, he looks explosive, and you're seeing it, and you're seeing exactly what Minnesota wants to do. It seems like a typical NFC North kind of game where it's going to be a lot of, you know, the over-under in this is the lowest on the entire slate. It's like 38, you know, and it's just still like 
pretty comfortable uh, playing conditions. Are they are they in Minnesota or are they in Chicago? I believe they're in Chicago, I'll confirm. But either way, though, I just think Chicago, you look at their D-line, I think that's the biggest mismatch there. Okay. Like Khalil Mack, I'm expecting like three sacks and like two forced fumbles. I want to I wanna have this conversation with you. It's in Chicago, by the way, Soldier Field. Your life is on the line. You've been held. You've been held captive. Oh boy! Right, and they tell you one of these two quarterbacks has to lead a game-winning drive to save your life. Who are you picking? I guess I gotta go, Kirk. <laughs> are you? I hope saying, he goes before the red zone. <laughs> are you saying? Are you saying to just end you there as opposed to having to make an option? Because man, Kirk Cousins. You know, I don't know if we should give the Redskins more credit for not for just saying. You know what? Look. Our ceiling with him is a wild card appearance. Mm-hmm. And if they run into a Rodgers, Carson Wentz, even Dak Prescott now with how well he's been playing, we're going to be at a disadvantage. It's, you know, he was, in my opinion, the NFC version of the guy that got traded for him. Well, he didn't really get traded for him, but essentially that's who the replacement was, yeah. Alex Smith. We're like, Alex Smith, man, I remember making so much money off that guy in the playoffs, anytime he was going up against Big Ben or anytime he was going up against the Patriots with those Chiefs runs, it's like, oh, they're the one seed or they have a bye week. It's like, dude, the quarterback advantage is significant in favor of the other team, and that's exactly what you saw. Right. Their ceiling was a divisional round playoff appearance, mm-hmm. whereas Washington was like, why should I give you $33 million or whatever it was? It was north of twenty-five. Yeah. Where you're never going to be an all-pro. You're never going to be... He never elevated talent. That's the thing. Kirk right. Cousins doesn't elevate talent. That's why you need guys like Diggs and Thielen for them to, for him to stay afloat. Because when Washington, they game a lot. Of People forget they had Deshaun Jackson. They had Garcon. They had uh, Crowder. They had a prime Jordan Reed. Like, they game a lot. And that O-line was really good there, too. And say you want by Jay Gruden. I do think Jay Gruden's a decent play caller. So And Mc, I think McVay was there for a time as well. Like Shanahan Kirk, was there too. Remember yeah, Shanahan? Right. The, the, the rumors were all that, oh, he's in San Francisco. They're going to need a quarterback. Kirk is a free agent. He's going there for sure. Yeah. And also, I thought it was very telling that, correct me if I'm wrong, did San Francisco even make a play for Kirk Cousins? I think, I think Denver even. Denver and the Jets, I know, made plays for him. I think it's very concerning when someone in-house doesn't give you the ultimate co-sign. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Like if New England is willing to give up on you and or even a team that drafts you, they know you better than anyone mm-hmm. for a team to like not even. Yeah. Good. Take them. I think that's a little telling. And for a guy like Shanahan who saw him and he was the most successful with him to him be like, yeah, you know what? I'd rather just roll the dice on Jimmy Garoppolo, who's played, what, eight and a half, eight and a half games in his career. Pretty much, you know, prior prior to getting there. So I don't know. I thought it was very telling, but. Kirk Cousins, I would, I would, I would take Kirk Cousins and definitely start praying if yeah. my life was on the line with these two guys. But in terms of this game, I am going to go Chicago though. I just think Chicago is more playmakers, and I do think Nagy will, I guess, devise enough plays where Trubisky doesn't mess up. And I do think Montgomery is someone to keep your eye out for. I think he's a banger. Like you saw some runs he had against Washington between him and Tariq Cohen. I like that little mixture there. It's just I think they're going to win the turnover battle and. I, I could just see Minnesota. There'll be one or two breakdowns they have in the secondary where, uh, whether it's Gabriel or because they have talent. Like Chicago has a, I like their array of weapons. They got some good players. Trey Burden is solid tight. Like they have weapons. It's, it's not like Minnesota where Minnesota's just running a lot of 21 personnel. Like it, I don't know who's, I, I think I just saw they brought back Laquan Treadwell. I'm just like, all right, well, that's not a good sign. Like this, if Diggs and Thielen aren't getting going, it's just, I don't know. And Rudolph can't really move anymore. So I do think there are a lot of advantages for Chicago. It's just, I, it's, 
Trubisky, just, if you could keep it to two turnovers or below, I think Chicago wins this, and I'm going to go with them. I think I'm always going to pick against Trubisky. It's hard not to say no. <laughs> Him going against Mike Zimmer is concerning, but hey, they did sweep Minnesota last year, and that Week 17 game, not a classic Kirk Cousins. You win, you're in. And uh, Chicago had nothing to play for, and he lost. Right. Yeah. Oh, man. Kirk has a lot of those on his resume. That's kind of concerning. And that Sunday night game, I know it was a cold Thursday. Uh, no, Sunday night in November, but they just got dominated. And I just think Chicago, because Chicago is a decent O-line. They got some guys. There. I just think in the trenches, Chicago, there's more advantages where they could get after Kirk and rattle them compared to Minnesota. Where, yeah, Minnesota's playmakers, but Trubisky Kalis move. Like, he is a good athlete. That's why I call him more athletic version of Blake Bortles. Interesting. I think I'm gonna go with Minnesota though. All right. Uh, Dalvin Dalvin make some things happen. Is the next game on the slate Bills Jets? Uh Bills Patriots. Oh Bills, Bills Jets, Jesus. <laughs> we can go there though. Two three and O teams. Man, you know what? Biggest game the Bills have played in the last two decades, I think. Wow. Well, considering it is against New England. And and considering that they they also played a playoff game against uh, the Jaguars where they snuck in. But they've, they've had some hot starts though in the past, I don't know, decade. They've had, they start out hot. I remember. Uh, you want you want a you want a hot take right here? Oh boy. I like Buffalo in this game, man. All right. So here's the thing. What's the status of Edelman? That's a good question. Who plays tight end for New England? I have no idea. They don't have A B no more. Shady, huge, huge. I think I know where you're going with them. this. Here we go. Devlin. There we go. I knew you were going. Bro, first of all, no one likes fullbacks. I think they're one of like what three, four teams that use a fullback in I. San Fran, you check, man. You check's a beast. Uchek. I love you. Yo, Uchek. that stiff arm on that dude on the Steelers. That's Fitzpatrick. Like, yeah. yeah. Oh man. So Devlin is out. I believe I saw something that the Patriots ran the most I formation last season. Yeah, most twenty one personnel. Most twenty one personnel. Yeah. And Sony Michelle is a guy who's kind of one-dimensional. If he's out on the field, you know it's going to be a run. I think it's like 75% of the time. Yeah. Um, I think the over-under for him was 0.5 for one catch in the Super Bowl. I remember me and Bulls were like, yo, he can't catch one pass? They threw it to him one time. Screen pass, he dropped it. Right? I think I was with Bulls for the Super Bowl. He was pissed. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, oh, my God, it's right there. Like, they're going to run just one, you know, kind of deception. New England likes to do, like, funky shit. Right, like, right, right. You know? Uh, James White, for being considered a third down back, he had, I believe only Christian McCaffrey had the most first down runs of any running back last season in the NFL, which was really, really ridiculous if you think about it. Um, So, Devlin on IR, huge loss for the Patriots. Um, They also use him in the red zone a lot, like, you know, that if, if, if... Brady doesn't think he could sneak it in, kind of, you know, throw it to uh, do like a fullback dive, fullback dive yeah. with Devlin. Um, also, Edelman, like I mentioned, he kind of looked like he got hurt in that jet game. Like, I know he left. Did he return? Do you remember if he came back in? But there was one play where, like, a blowout. Yeah, it was a blowout, yeah. too. Yeah, so that's fair. That's fair. But, man, Bills have a top five defense. That was not a concern coming into the year for me. I thought Buffalo's defense was going to be legit, and it is. And they also play a lot better. Now, the concern with Buffalo, I should say, was that they were a defense that played great in Buffalo outside kind of like middle of the pack towards like the 20s if you look at where they were ranking and whatnot. But do they have an offense now in Buffalo? I don't believe so. That's fair. I think the O-line's slowly improving, but receivers other than John Brown, I'm not crazy. But I think Cole Beasley had like eight catches for 44 yards. 
Just I, I don't typical know. Cole Beasley game. Seven for forty-five and like a touchdown. I just don't know how they're gonna move the ball. I think New England's defense is. I don't know if it's quiet. I think people do recognize that they're, they've put together a really good defense. Jamie Collins having a rebirth year. He's made a lot of plays so far. Mm-hmm. And I really like, I think Danny Sheldon's another guy that's coming along there as well. And, you know, the secondary with McCourty as both McCourty's and then uh, Gilmore. They're actually brothers. Yeah. Before we were like the Smith brothers. Like, yeah, the McCourty brothers. Gilmore come back to Buffalo. He comes back every year at this point. So it's not really a revenge game. But it's just, they got players in New England. And I just, I still don't trust Josh Allen. And I think there's going to be, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we do three picks in this one. So that's what I think the biggest X factor is going to be. Belichick against a young quarterback. Big spot for Buffalo. Bills Mafia is going to be rowdy. Patriots kind of coming in a little bit hobbled on the offensive side. Um, you know, Philip Dorsett, he's scored a touchdown in every single game, I think, this year. But still Philip Dorsett. Yeah. Isaiah wins out as well. They got Marshall Newhouse to left tackle, which... Hey, Dante Scarnecchia, you want to earn your paycheck? <laughs> Coach him up. I want to see that. Because Jerry Hughes has always been, I think, for the last four years, one of the better pass rushers. I think they could get after him. But you know New England's going to get put scheme together. They're going to chip Hughes at will. Like, I'm sure. That's why I'm, I'm, I, I don't know how you go Buffalo. Guys, remember this. Marshall Newhouse, is, if he starts the rest of the year, he'll sign for like $12 million next offseason. Like, <laughs> yeah, John Gruden will just give him a contract. Some team will overpay for him. But, I mean, look, the Marshall Newhouse, he also was on the Giants, so I got to see him closely. You do have to earn your money if you're Dante Scarnecchia, without yeah. a doubt. Now, Buffalo absolutely gets owned by New England. Like, it's not even close. And especially in the Ralph. Like, I think they've won 12 of the last 13 games in Buffalo. Probably. Um, it does. I have a feeling Buffalo wins this game. But I also have a feeling that you might be right where it's like Josh Allen, all this running around stuff is, like, cool. But when you play, like, a legitimate defense mm-hmm. – it might be a little concerning right. for us going forward with you. Right. I I could see being competitive. Like I don't think the Patriots offense is gonna score a lot of points, but it wouldn't surprise me to see a defensive touchdown or two or some special teams blinders. It's just New England's gonna find a way. They're gonna score a different you just know Josh Allen's gonna crumble at some point. I just don't trust his arm and uh, it wouldn't surprise you to see like a stat line, like 16 for 35 or something. I and, wanna see who else is gonna step up for them if it's not John Brown, because you gotta figure they're gonna completely if you're the Patriots, who are you game planning to take out? Cole Beasley. Cole World. Yeah, that's right. Cole Beasley. <laughs> oh, who's that guy? Dawson Knox, I think I saw. Yeah, the he tight end. Yeah, yeah, he played all right. Yeah. Not too bad. I, I don't know anything about him, so I'm not going to try to... Uh, I saw him make a play. I was like, he might be interesting. Yeah. Man, hey, Frank Gore's still popping up. Like, Singletary do- might be out, though. I think oh, I read. Yeah, he, might, he, might be, he might be hurt. Yeldon is yeah. there, I believe. I think it is TJ Yeldon. Yeah, he is there. In Buffalo. But, you know... <laughs> It's a seven and a half point line, which I think is kind of trappy. Buffalo, I've called many, many spots with the Bills throughout the years where you, when you play them in Buffalo and Buffalo is a home dog, I tend to lean that way. With that being said, I just like, if, if Buffalo wins this game and Josh Allen has like a breakout game, I think it'll be very, like, they might make the playoffs if that's the case. 4-0 in AFC. And, I, and I'm not saying that they'd win the division. I still would bet everything that I have. Spoiler, it's not much. I would still bet everything I have on New England. Yeah. But you have a win over New England, then that looks good for you to make the playoffs as a wild so card. So you have to play Dolphins twice? Yeah. Got to play the Jets one more time. Uh, you have Red to play skins. the Redskins. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you have a, that, that's like four wins right there. Yeah, I could see it. I, I don't see them winning, but I could see I could see them, like I said, two years ago they made the playoffs and no one really saw it coming. It was the weirdest, probably worst playoff game I've ever seen in my life. But that, Yeah, I think that was the worst playoff game I've ever Bortles ever. versus Tyrod. I love Tyrod, but yeah, that they had to move on. But Who I'm would going, have thought that that 
that Jaguars team would go on and put an ass whooping on the Steelers like that the next week. And then, honestly, should have beaten New England. That Miles Jack play. Yo, New England, we should do an episode one day of how lucky they've gotten in during their, their run. Yeah, we'll do it during the, but also, the championship Super Bowl. That one week where nothing's going on, we could do it then because the yeah, Patriots yeah. are going to Super Bowl. Yeah, they'll probably <laughs> be in the Super Bowl. But also, you know, David Tyree catch, Mario Manningham catch, um, Nick Foles, kind of like the miracle run that he yeah. went on to. So they've had some, you know, Gostowski missing a kick also. So they've had some stuff go against them also. Right. But, you know, like Billy Cundiff missed a, what, 28-yard field goal that time against the Ravens? Mm-hmm. Uh, just a lot of things, you know? A lot Kyle of Shanahan did run the ball, corner Falcon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think with this, ultimately, if you're a Bills fan, you just want to leave this game with saying, you know what? We lost... 27 to 24 mm-hmm. we played well brady just had the ball at the end and they kicked the field goal like i would sign up for that if i'm a bills fan right. you know because it shows you that josh allen could compete with some of these big names in the league right. have you given my cam newton josh allen comparison any i'm thought? not i'm not uh not there i just need to see more from josh allen he's That's just fair. he's That's too fair. wild right I, I enjoy watching him play but it's just accuracy wise he makes a lot of mistakes but yeah we'll see uh let's quickly touch on Dallas, New Orleans. Yes. Sunday night. Yeah. Very interesting to see how Teddy B looks against, I think, one of the better defense league. I know Seattle's a good defense, but I think Dallas has a lot more playmakers. But it's just New Orleans at home in a primetime game, how Dak responds. Because I think New Orleans is quietly building one the, another defense that I don't think gets enough recognition. So what I have here in front of me, and I think is going to be the ultimate test here for um, this game, Bridgewater for as good of a story that it was, um, you know, coming back and he gave a pretty cool speech. I was telling you about it post game. Um, 80% of his throws and passing yards came after the catch. Yeah. So a lot of Camara, a lot of Mike Thomas, it's probably going to continue. And look, those are two all pros shoe in all pros year in, year out. Their defense is not good. In New Orleans, I don't think. Okay, I, I I hold them a little higher regard, but they do have flaws. Like I don't like their linebackers. I don't like their linebackers. I think Latimer has regressed a lot, mm-hmm. a lot. It goes back to what I've been saying about the cornerback position. Just year in year out, things mm-hmm. things just change. I don't know what it is, but Eli Apple liability, PJ uh, Williams, Williams liability. Um, I like the safeties. Marcus Williams and Von Bell aren't bad, and I do think Patrick Robinson's back. The nickel corner who was very uh pivotal for the eagle success he that's what i think that's where he kind of resurrected his career during the super bowl year so but i just like their d-line and because it sounds like sean rankins might be back this weekend he, right. he had yes, a huge that's, year that's a, that's a good, that's a good Achilles, between him they got malcolm brown inside and then just the pass rushers uh, cam jordan i can't say enough good things about him i think he's one of the most versatile one of the most dynamic defense lineman in general in the league but you got davenport coming on and just like they have a really dangerous d-line right. how do you feel about Davenport from what you've seen from him because we can't forget that they traded up to get not him. worth the draft capital absolutely not the draft, but he is someone that could he, he he brings off the edge he's definitely a power rusher you see him make a couple plays I think Hendrickson though is the guy like he's really came on like I thought he had a big game against Seattle he was get, taking it to Dwayne Brown quite a bit which Dwayne Brown as we know he's no slouch so I think that's where New Orleans key. and Dennis Allen he runs some really exotic blitzes I think Dennis Allen's another guy that doesn't have credit just the whole Raiders run kind of destroyed his career so that's what I think ultimately happens with some of these like really top end and I don't know if he's top end but these really good coordinators is they go to become head coaches and then they kind of shit the bed top bowls and a lot of times it's just 
you know, it's very rare that a job like Pittsburgh becomes available or New England. It's because, well, we don't need a new coach. A job like the Giants becomes available a couple of years ago because, like, Coughlin was there for 12 years. And, right. you know, you just it runs its course. Mike Smith also, would you say, like, what was the reason he was, oh, he was there? Oh, it ran its course. Yeah, yeah, he was there. He, he was overstayed there o- his welcome. 08, from, 08 to 14. Yeah, so he was yeah. there for, for a, a good amount of time. And eventually it's just like, yo, it's just time to move on, right? Mike McCarthy, too. It's like, all right, we make the playoffs. but like yeah. Might have Ron Rivera soon. Right, right. So a lot of times these coordinators get these jobs, and it's just like, damn, I'm going to go to a team that has a, a top 10 pick. They're not going to be that good. And then, you know, also going to Oakland doesn't help. Going to no. Cleveland, too. Pat Shermer, too, was a head coach in Cleveland. And yeah. that was a disaster took, for him. It took years for him to get his reputation. Yeah, yeah. So I think a guy who might get a coordinator job well, who's a coordinator now who might become a head coach later down the line if this shit continues. Is there a, a, a hotter offensive coordinator right now than Kellen Moore for what he's been doing for Dak Prescott in this he's, offense? He's a man right now. Just going from Scott Linehan to him, just the whole offense has changed. You see a lot more dynamism because I think one of the biggest issues with Dallas is people are just watching him and be like, this is the most simplistic offense we've ever seen. Just such basic route concepts. There's no rub routes. There's no, just, there's no deception. This guy's not... You can't even put a guy in motion. It's like... Are you not watching what's going on? I think Kellen Moore, what he's done is fantastic. Grand competition's been as light as it possibly could be. But still, I, I think he's getting the most out of Dak because I think people don't give enough credence to Dak. Like, he's really good with his legs. Like, you got you to gotta run RPOs at least eight, ten times a game with this kind of guy. But him and Zeke in that O-line, you could abuse teams with this, even with Jason Wynn at tight end. So, to me, and I don't think people – nothing with Dallas, I think, is something that we got to take notice. They've they've quickly gone from – one of the worst receiving corpse leads, one of the best. Like Devin Smith. Yeah, that's <laughs> a guy who got destroyed by injuries early in his career. Yeah. Supposed to be a burner coming out of Ohio State. I remember there was a wild stat about him where I think he scored like, if he played 20 games at Ohio State, I think 18 of them, he had like a 50-yard touchdown catch. It was something absurd. He was such a home run threat, and he got drafted by the Jets, and ultimately he just got hurt. He wasn't a bust. I don't think you're a bust if you get hurt. Like, that's just unfortunate. If you play and you suck, then you're a bust. Jamarcus Russell. Like, he played. (laughs) He sucked. Right? But a guy like... A guy like... David Wilson. Yeah, David Wilson, I don't think is a bust. He had injuries. Mm -hmm. Call me crazy. I don't think Sam Bradford was a bust. I think Sam Bradford was just injured. Always. Always. He never... And he was with those Rams teams that were trash, you know? Yeah. And even when he went to Philly and he was supposed to be with Chip Kelly and all those guys, it's like... It's kind of damaged goods by then. Yeah, yeah, you know? So I just think sometimes you just hurt and you can't produce at a high level. So Dak Prescott, 90.4 season grade so far and has 146.1 passer rating in a clean pocket. Obviously, you protect your quarterback, they're going to do well. My question to you is, and I, I, I want to spend a little bit of time on this one as we start to wind down on this episode. Between the triplets, Cooper, Dak, and Zeke, rank the importance to the Cowboys' success, in your opinion. Because for me, it's Dak. This is going to seem crazy. Let me rephrase this. To Dak Prescott's success, who's more important, Cooper or Zeke? What did we see in November, December last year? Have they trade seven and one once they got Amari Cooper? Look, look at those games against Philadelphia and Washington. Those were key divisional games, and Cooper went off in those. And also, Dak's numbers just skyrocketed 
Zeke was also there. Zeke was there prior to the Amari Cooper trade too. I'm not saying Zeke isn't one of the top five backs. Yeah, yeah. I'd, it'd be crazy for me to say right. that. But what I think, I'm also, you got to understand, guys, that um, and I have a running back that's the best running back in the league. I'm a guy who thinks running backs don't matter. I'm a guy who thinks outside of fantasy football, I don't think they matter. Mm-hmm. I think you can find gem running backs third, fourth round. You've seen many teams go running back by committee and be successful. The Eagles, the Patriots. Hell, even the Saints, Ingram, Kamara. Look, uh, even your team, your their heyday, they had two running backs there. Right. You know, you constantly see it. Freeman was a fourth round pick. Melvin Gordon sit, is sitting out. Austin Eckler, you're starting in your RB one, and you're confident with him. You know, yeah. so I think that it's a position where you don't need to spend high draft capital on, and also those guys, I think, can be replaced. I think they could be replaced, mm-hmm. and. I think now with passing becoming so much more the norm in football, man, I think Amari Cooper is a bigger reason for Dak Prescott's success than Zeke. Yeah. And he's just a complete receiver. He go vertical. He could line up in the slot. I think he's one of the best route runners. Too. I was going to say, like, where is he as far as like route running? He has to be like up there. He has to be. I put him up there with guys like Stephon Diggs. Like the Diggs deal, and I always say those two because they're such good route runners. But you know who else I like? I like Ridley. Ridley could do it, yeah. Especially from like these young guys, also like he's what twenty five, twenty six years old. He is he an is, older rookie. He is yeah. an older rookie, yeah. so that that's that's something that has helped him develop also. But yeah, I, I, I would say Amari Cooper runs some beautiful routes. Damn, like cop cop still could be productive, but you see, I know he's injured right now. But Gallup was really coming along. Dallas has a really good. The last year, I would say they have the worst receivers in the league. Now all of a sudden, they're one of the most, and each of them has their purpose. Cobb is the slot possession receiver. Gallup is kind of the vertical threat, but he's also a big uh, guy that can make contested catches. Devin Smith just run go routes or just run deep crosses, and Cooper's not a guy that could do it all. They just have those receivers there. They fill their lane, and I think that's really key, especially what Dak wants to do, and Kellen Moore wanting to be more aggressive, especially off play action. So, yeah, Dallas is exciting. I, I, it's crazy that it's just a matter of one year. They've gone for one more. Blander offense is now something you want to watch every week. Yeah, Dak is, uh, I believe he's the fourth leading candidate for MVP. It's Mahomes. It is uh, Brady. Lamar Jackson. It is Brady. And then it is uh, Dak Prescott. Okay. Yeah, I can see it for now. So, yeah, it should be fun. Some uh, really cool games, though I do think that the best game of the week is going to be on Thursday. Yeah. Oh, well, who are you picking between Dallas and New Orleans? I, I hate- Anytime I don't pick Dallas, I'm a hater. I only pick against New Orleans when they're home on prime time because it's just a whole few. But I don't like te- this matchup for Teddy. When you got guys like Van Der Esch and Jalen Smith covering the field, like those checkdowns are going to get shut down real quick. So I'm going Dallas. Yeah, I think Jason Dallas, Garrett, yeah. though, scares me. But we're, I'm going to clap it up for the clapper. We're going to get this W. Well, yeah, I think uh, I think the less that Jason Garrett has to control, I think the better it is for them. Right. But, yeah, I think I think I'm going to have to go with the Cowboys. I say talent-wise, they got to win this. But then again, going against Sean Payton is... The Cowboys, I think, have the most... Them in... Oh, not even Kansas City. But if you look at the rosters, how many how many guys would you say are like as close as they could be to the top of their position? Like, they're great at linebacker, right? They're great at... They have one great edge rusher. They have a great running back. Great O-line. Great offensive line. Um, great cornerback. Like, they have a lot of great players in Dallas. Mm-hmm. Kansas City, a lot of great players on that offense. Um, 
Chargers, a lot of great players. It's just, you know, no offensive line and whatnot. So I think Dallas has, like, they'll have, like, the most pro bowlers this year is what I'm saying. And, and look, I know it's a fan vote and whatnot, but I like to measure you being a pro bowler. Like, no, you were one of the best players mm-hmm. in the league. Yeah. So. Yeah, they got talent. They've drafted really well. You have to give it to them. Every year they've pretty much hit on draft picks. And late ones, too. Yeah. Right? You know, Dak Prescott late, Jalen Smith, they took a chance on him. Um, Gallup. Know, Gallup. Gallup yeah. coming out also. Mm-hmm. So I think other than Taco Charlton, they've hit on pretty much everyone. And yeah. he got a sack with the with the Dolphins last week. I think it was like a covered sack. I watched highlights. It was like the biggest covered yeah, yeah. sack. Dude, my guy Rosen, though, put up more yards in the first half than the Dolphins did in their first two games. Difference maker. Difference maker, <laughs> baby. That's my guy, the chosen Rosen. Right. So you, we're both going Dallas. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with the Cowboys. I'm excited too. for this one. I really am. These are two really – I I think no one's going to win the South, and Dallas, they'll make the playoffs regardless. Fucking Falcons, man. <laughs> Yo, Cam, we're not talking. Let's cancel listen, for a week. Listen, Cam Cam hurt. Breeze hurt. Winston being Winston. Uh, it's like, dude, it, it, it's right there for you to make a run and like have like a two-game lead in the division. And then, of course, nah, you just got you got to go down 21-3. to just that Or 20-3, sorry. Whatever. I will say, if there was like four more minutes in that Colts game, they probably win that game. Yeah, probably. But just like slow starts on the road. Like you come up. Yeah. Yo, worst, worst. Uh, I want to end with this. Yeah. NFL refs get a bad rep. What they did to your boy. Keanu, yo, man, torn ACL last year, torn Achilles. He's he's 24 years old. This guy's played four games the last two years. He tears his Achilles, guys. They throw a flag on him for taking his helmet off. And it's like... It would have been second goal at the nine. Instead, it was first and goal at the four because of that penalty. And they scored a touchdown on that drive. Right, right before they had the like, T.Y. Hilton. It's like, yo, can we make an exception to a guy who's balling out crying on the field because he knows he his season is done? And yeah. honestly, bro, like... Do we know if it's the same leg? Is it the same? Ooh, that's a good question. Because, like, yo, if you have a torn ACL and an Achilles on the same foot, like, I mean, look, don't get me wrong. It's yeah. bad if you have it's nine months, on, like 18 months of rehab now. You look yeah, yeah. It's like, dude, like, fuck, yo. Why yeah. throw a flag there on that guy? Like, it's, like took, we're, it's just, it's human. Like, we're humans. Yeah, <laughs> man. Like, yo, my season is done. I just battled back. And we talk about, like, Andrew Luck having to rehab all this time, yeah. Gronkowski having to re- rehab all this time. And then you hear these guys post playing how much of a toll it took on them to rehab, right? It sucks. I tore my ACL. I had to rehab for four months. It blows, bro. It's the worst feeling ever having to rehab, but you have to do it. And this guy is laying there. He's like, damn, I just spent all this time, and now I'm hurt again, and I take my helmet off, and then you're going to throw a penalty that ultimately cost him the game. did. Seven points. It cost him the game there. But just, I don't know. I don't like to get on NFL fishing because every year it's just it's a new drama. There's a new head-scratching moment. So like I'm, I assume – Things even worse are gonna happen, so right. you just have to accept it. But huh. yeah. not I'm, the end downer because it's a really good week of football, though. And I it think, was, yeah. it was, it, it yeah. was fun. I liked it. Yeah. Uh, well, you thing, you definitely liked it. Oh, I, I mean, yeah, like I said, I mean, I've I've had a semi ever since, and hopefully it continues this week because yeah. you know my my big my big call was they're gonna be three and two going into Foxborough. So let's wow. see, right. let's see, let's see going into that, and then they're gonna get pummeled by forty, and it's gonna be on <laughs> prime time. And you know Twitter is going to let but me But Thursday night don't count, man. Thursday night football is just like, all right. Do you know what's going to happen if if Giants are like four and two? <laughs> all right. We need to we need to end the show yeah. because I'm getting a little out of control here. Alan, thanks again, brother, brother, for Absolutely. joining us. 
Uh, where can they find you if they want to contact you? And are you writing it? Are you doing anything? Yeah, for still absolutely. Uh, away, bro? Two, three times a week, I'm right. Uh, Alan underscore Stirk. That's A double L E N underscore S T R K. You always get me with the Monday night, uh, Monday night, Monday morning reviews. And then usually I'll do like a player review. Like I'm going to review Dante, Devontae Freeman. I'll have that up tomorrow. And then I do a preview for whoever the Falcons are playing. So yeah, always two, three articles a week. And then I got the game breakdowns. Uh, don't really like to call them GIF reviews anymore because I don't use GIFs. I actually use this video stream downloader that Google Chrome has that's way more efficient. So the, there's a little thing for, if you guys want to do it yourselves, video stream downloader on Google Chrome, way more efficient. So yeah, I'll be doing that. I really, I really enjoyed the the review thing that you do. It's really awesome. Even if you're not like a Falcon fan, just to understand like route concepts and why teams are doing this on third and eight as opposed to not doing it, it's it's really cool. I've always been a fan of that one. And the trench battles. I think just getting to look at what goes on in the trenches is one of the coolest things. Nick Saban famously said that he always stays at the line of scrimmage the first quarter, uh, the first two drives, and right then and there he knows if he's won that game or not. And he wow. said notably against – he knew he would struggle against Clemson because all the times that they played Clemson in the national title the last couple of years, I believe it's three straight years they played in the Natty, he's like, yeah, there's going to be a rough day for us. Whether they won it or lost it because in, in, in the trenches, man, like no one ever talks them up, but that's where games are won and lost. Yeah. At the Lamp Shows where you can find me uh, – ooh, a trade in my fantasy league. Look at this. Look at this. All right. Uh, at the Lamb Show and all social media outlets, at Veterans Minimum on Instagram and on Twitter. Guys, the Instagram page is new. So if you were following the old Instagram page, please go and follow this new one. A lot of stuff on there. And of course, the Patreon. And check out Taver, our sp- sponsor. We made a read for them earlier. And uh, yeah, thank you for listening. Oh, uh, podcast and chill episode on Monday had Glenny Balls from Barstool Sports. Definitely check that out. And I have a very, very fun interview coming to you this monday stay tuned and we'll catch you guys next time today i'm joined by a very special guest mike niche chicago red stars account executive of ticket sales and not only that mike i don't know if uh, i know you know this but i got in touch with you through the lovely lady that is your mother (laughs) yes yeah so she's fantastic oh yeah she's the best i've known her for many many years so for those of you guys listening that might not know what we're talking about i have a food cart in the city my father's been running mike for many many years and your mom comes by pretty much every day and i was wearing a usa (laughs) i was wearing a usa soccer shirt and she's like oh you're gonna watch the women and i was like yeah i watch i watch all the women's the national team i'm not gonna lie and say that I watched the, the leagues and whatnot, but I was like, yeah, I tune in all the time. She's like, oh, my son, this and that. And I was like, oh, I got to get him on the pod. And here we are. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy to be here. I, I do appreciate it. Um, you know, uh, my mom mentioned it and when we were finally able to set it up. So thank you for having me on. Yeah, we were doing a terrible job of communication. <laughs> you you would respond three days late. I'd reply a week late. And then I was just like, let me see if he'd still want to come on. So I appreciate you yeah, taking time. Yeah. So, uh you guys, the Chicago Red Stars, sent four women to the national team. They won the gold. They came in first, took the whole thing down. And you know what? Not for nothing, we're the cream of the crop when it comes to women's soccer. Oh, by far. Yeah, by far. Um, I mean, I think that we saw it in the World Cup. You bring in teams who maybe don't usually play against top-level town, and Thailand goes out, and they get smacked around 13 nothing, and uh, you know, so you, you progress through the stages and you find better and better teams. But I don't think that at any point in the tournament, uh, our players thought they weren't going to win. 
I think that they went in confident, and uh, and it really showed in the, in how they played and, and who they played against and how well they ended up doing. How did you feel about the backlash that Rapino got for the celebrations in that first game in particular? I know it's been it's been a while, but it was pretty ugly post uh, Thailand. <laughs> yeah, I think people take themselves too seriously a lot of the time. Um, I think that it's a game, and uh, people were playing a game. It uh, it maybe didn't feel so good for the, the Thailand players and you know folks who were there representing their country. But if you don't want them celebrating, don't let them score. And I think that for Rapino, it was a big moment uh, coming back from an injury that kept her out of the 2015 World Cup and and scoring a, a goal on the international stage. It's it's something that I'll never do, and I I think most people who you know play soccer now will never do. Uh, so I, if it was me, I would probably do the same thing. Yeah, the o- the only thing I don't mind with them scoring 13, 14, 15, as many goals. I did I did have a little pushback on the celebrating. I just thought that, you know, after <laughs> after like 7, you know, the choreographed dance, we could save it for the quarterfinals. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I understand that. Um, you know, I just I can't imagine that I would uh react any differently. I think that if you you put the ball in the back of the net, you probably just kind of black out from sheer excitement and celebration so um i i don't hold it against them and you know especially when they go on to win the whole thing and uh you know it's it's tough to to take that off you know what are what are some of the give us the names of the women from the red stars that represented the team mm-hmm. yeah so our highest profile player um julie Ertz, uh formerly known as julie johnston and then uh obviously married to Zach Ertz now, who plays for the Eagles. Um, so she is, is by far our biggest name player. Um, but one of the players who really stood out in the World Cup was our goalkeeper, Alyssa Nair. Uh, mm-hmm. So she started every game. She had a huge penalty save against England. Um, and, you know, aside from a couple uh, early mistakes in the tournament, I think really she held it down for the team and, and was a big part of why they went on to win. Um, and then for our you know defense and midfield, Morgan Bryan, uh, so she was at the 2015 World Cup as well and then ended up playing in, in one match, I believe, or two matches at the World Cup this season. And then uh, our, our actual uh, rookie for our team, Tierna Davidson, she came out of Stanford and, and she'd been with the national team for a while. And uh, and she actually had the assist on Julie Ertz's header, I think against Chile in our 3 uh, nothing win against them in the group. So Tierna Davidson is going to be a name that you'll hear a lot, uh, you know, for the next decade or so, I think. But you know, she's come into our team here in Chicago and, and really made a difference. I think uh, she's really fast on the ball, plays the ball really well, and uh, made an impact enough on Jill Ellis to, to bring her into the team. So, I mean, it's, it's great that we can send four players. I know that not every team in the league is, is as blessed as we are with U.S. women's national team players. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it is tough to lose them when we're still trying to play games. You get about a week off, but then you go back into playing games with without those players. So, um you know, our depth of roster actually made a difference there. But, you know, having those national team players come back and, and show how good they are and show why they're at the World Cup is, is really fantastic to watch from our perspective. Is Stanford like a hot a hot spot for women's soccer? Because I know, isn't, uh, I think Kristen Press is from Stanford too. Yes, yeah. Kristen's also from Stanford. Uh, so Tierna went there as well. Um, you know, I think Stanford's always very good especially against West Coast opponents. Right. And uh, for the East Coast, I think North Carolina, you have to look at North Carolina. Uh, and they're certainly one of the best in the nation, and, and they have been for a while. Yeah, I know. Um, I, I remember watching an E60 on uh, Tobin Heath 
and I saw that she went to North Carolina. It's just, um, you know, obviously they don't get the same coverage that men's athletics do, and in particular the even the men's team. And, you know, a big topic of conversation as of late, and this is where I think you'll bring some insight. Explain to the audience, because, I mean, you're even explaining to me, because I'm not really familiar with it. There's a big issue and sort of a tug of war between the women's team and this equal pay movement for them. Can you explain to the audience what that is exactly, what you know of it? Yeah, of course. I'm, I'm not a, a great expert witness. Uh, I'm no lawyer, but I, I can understand, uh, you know, at least what's going on recently. Um, so in the beginning of this year, uh, the U.S. Women's National Team Players Association uh, filed a lawsuit against U.S. soccer and alleged that they weren't being paid fairly, which uh, in, in many people's views, is accurate. Uh, U.S. soccer disagreed. They brought up some numbers that I don't have in front of me, but um, tried to say that they were being paid fairly and, and equally to the men. Um, and I think that the biggest issue for a lot of people is not that the pay is not equal. I think that the pay may not, may not be equitable. Um, so, you know, the, the women's national team have qualified for uh, the last, you know, four or five women's World Cups, and um, they've, they've won in you know 2019 so it's hard to argue with their performance on the field and i think how that is uh rewarded is is the most important at this point our national team players they usually make somewhere from 300 to five hundred thousand dollars a year um that's not all salary but i think that uh some of it also comes from their sponsorship deals their partnerships and that can push their you know yearly earnings up to a million dollars so these national team players are the best of the best and they get paid like they're the best in their sport, which is women's soccer. And I think that the biggest issue right now is that women's soccer does not have the same type of revenue stream as men's soccer does. I think that you can see that on a Saturday morning when you turn on uh, NBC Sports and you pull up the Premier League and you watch for, you know, five hours at a time and you just sit there on your couch. And, you know, it's it's tough to find a women's soccer game that's either not the U.S. national team or anything else really i think that espn has come in and, and done a lot for the league they're uh broadcasting all of our games now which is fantastic mm-hmm. um and and here in chicago for us um that's you know nbc sports chicago and and they're broadcasting every single one of our games and so for us on that end it, it makes a big difference because we're able to pay our players more not just national team payer, players and you know, I think at this point as well, you can look at the, the data that people have compiled from 2016 to 2018. Uh, the U.S. Women's National Team actually pulled in more money uh, via media, so TV, online, um, everything that comes into that. And the argument is made that maybe the men are paid too highly or maybe the women are just not paid enough. And, you know, I think that you have to ask yourself where the money is going to come from to pay for that. And, and most people, when, when that question is asked, they don't have a, a good answer to, to give. So I think that, you know, you look at the money that's received for, uh, you know, World Cup winner in 2018. So the men's World Cup winners got $38 million, and then the women's World Cup winners got $4 million this past summer. And, okay, fine, $34 million difference, that's, that's a big jump. Um, but you also have to ask, you know, where are the corporations, where are the companies who are actually funding right. the Men's World Cup when the Women's World Cup rolls around? And uh, and then you don't have as many people raising their hands. And so everybody wants to argue for equal pay and, and say that the women should be paid equally, and, and that is the right answer. I mean, they should be paid for their work, and their work is outstanding. But, you know, you have to ask, at what point is, is it just unsustainable? 
And so for the Red Stars especially, uh, you know, here in the league, the U.S. soccer actually has the U.S. national team players on the payroll throughout the year. So our owner, Arnon Whistler, doesn't pay the U.S. national team players. He pays, the for our team, 18 other players. Um, and at that point, the minimum salary is $16,000 and the maximum salary is $46,000. So imagine that, you know, you go to a D1 college, you <clears throat> come back to play for your hometown team, and uh, the, the most money you can pull in is $46,000. And that makes it, you know, very difficult for good soccer players and, and smart people to kind of wrestle with that idea of I'm never going to be at the U S national team level, but I want to per- pursue my dream. And can you, can you stomach a $16,000 salary one year out of college from, you know, some of the best schools in the nation really. Um, and so we've had players in the past who have decided after, you know, the draft or something like that, that they weren't going to pursue a career in soccer and, and rather in whatever their intended major was. Right. Um, so, you know, it's, it's definitely a, a difficult job to do is figure out where the money's going to come from, which corporations, if there's going to be investment from outside investors. Um, but I think bottom line, it's, it's capitalism and it comes down to what am I going to get in return? And right now the returns aren't that great. Yeah, I mean, uh, I pulled this article up from Forbes, and they say that the Men's World Cup in Russia 2018, granted, the United States did not make that one. We could dedicate <laughs> right. a whole podcast to that. I voiced my displeasure <laughs> with that entire process. I was not happy, as I'm sure you weren't either. But, yes, you know, the, yes. the, the Men's World Cup in Russia made $6 billion. That accounts for what you mentioned, sponsorships and corporations and whatnot. And then that was $400 million split amongst 32 nations federations and then the women's world cup brought in 131 million dollars so that's where i think you see that big 34 million dollar difference that you referenced between mm-hmm. winning it for the men and the women exactly right and so if you don't have that six billion dollars to you know throw at the teams for showing up um and and you only have you know the, the 150 or whatever the exact number was that you brought up if you don't have that to, you know, deal out to the teams, then you, you're just, you know, giving away money and, and it's not worth it at that point. So, um, well, as I think as soon as you see more investment in the game, more investment in the teams in this league and, you know, in the tournaments, the high-profile Women's World Cup tournament, then you're not going to see the same type of revenue come in for the players. Do you think that the women's national team is so dominant because – Women in the United States, the the young girls, soccer is like their main sport. Well, I think, um, you know, especially soccer is one of the most played sports in the U.S. at that's, a youth level. Yeah, uh, sorry, you, I, you, yeah. that's what I meant to say. Yeah, it's one of the more popular yeah. played sports. It's that in like basketball. Right. You know, you look at like right, the exactly. UConn women's basketball team. That's really the best <laughs> dynasty in all of sports mm-hmm. if you really think about it, but... Yeah, so how do you feel about that? Yeah, so I think it's it's a really easy game to get into, or, or at least it was. Um, the, I mean, you can talk for hours about the pay-to-play model, which is club teams who you know make you pay $1,000 uh, just to have your kid wear their jersey and, and go out on the field. But, um, you know, that ideally will lead to a college scholarship or something down the line. Um, so I think that especially for in the U.S., it's, it's one of the most popular sports. Many people are playing it. Uh, I think everybody can go back and ask around the room and say, hey, how many of you played soccer as a kid? And 
most people will raise their hand. You guys just saw I played for a year in kindergarten. So it's uh, it's the folks who stick with it that really make the difference. Um, I know that for me, growing up, I grew up in the same town as Christine Lilly, who was you know instrumental for the U.S. women's national team uh, when they really first broke out. I think at the moment she still has the most caps of all time, so most appearances for the U.S. women's national team of all time. And uh, and so for me, growing up, I, I always had a an appreciation for the women's game that I think most people didn't. Um, you know, growing up and playing on Christine Lilly Field makes a difference on you. And so I, I grew up and knew the women's team was the better team. You know, you would always hear about them in the news. You, you see Brandy Chastain after the the World Cup, um, that you know iconic celebration. Right. And so growing up, I think that girls especially were able to look and say, okay, who can I emulate? Who can I be like? And the the U.S. women's national team, they were there. And, uh, and I think that especially not only on the field, but, you know, performing off the field. So going and, and hosting camps and clinics, you know, when I'm able to, to go to a Christine Lilly camp in the summer, it, it, you know, makes an impact on you just from a really early age, I think. And, and that'll stick with some people. You know, not everybody is going to be the next Leo Messi or, or Cristiano Ronaldo or, you know, Alex Morgan, right? But, uh, but at least it gives them some, you know, vision of what they could be and so the league that we have right now the nwsl is is really trying to push that model even further um where you know you don't have to be a christine Lilly, you don't have to be an alex morgan uh you know you can be a person who loves playing soccer and, and find a career in it where you know you're not going to the world you know you're grinding day in and day out and i think more needs to be said about those players too did i feel like the Red Star sending four women to the national team, considering this, it's only a 23-person roster, you guys must have had the most representatives, no? Or close to the top? Yeah, I think we were number two directly behind uh, North Carolina. Um, we also sent our Australian forward, Sam Kerr, to the tournament as well. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and so she's an absolute all-star. She's won the golden boot uh, for the league two years in a row. Um I think, you know, her, her goal to game ratio is like ridiculous compared to some of the other players in this league. Um, and so she's like a lightning rod for, for good moments. And, uh, I think sound bites too, after the games, she had one, she just said, suck on that. And, uh, (laughs) in in response to credit critics. And so, you know, with an Australian accent, I think you get away with it. Uh, you know, if, if Megan Rapino went out here and said that, I don't think people would react so, uh, charmingly. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Rapino has angered a lot of people, and it, and it's funny to just see the overreactions and just people just losing her, her mind. Uh, sometimes I feel like she's just trolling people just to get a reaction, and and I'm all for it. I'm all for just having people just get outraged. I want to just pivot right. over real quick to the men's team uh, as we yeah. wrap up here, because I know you told me that you have to run shortly, but the men's team doesn't make the World Cup, and now... The next thing coming up is the Olympics, like you mentioned before we started recording. Mm-hmm. Where, How do you feel and how should someone that's a fan of U.S. soccer feel right now, September of 2019, about the men's team? Uh, they should feel vengeful. They want to avenge our, our heartbreak uh, when we weren't able to go to the 2018 World Cup. Uh, I think that bringing in youth is, is the smartest move that you can do. I think that uh, Bear Halter is, is going in the right direction with the team. I think, you know, you see players come in who maybe don't have that, that many uh, <laughs> call-ups for themselves. But, you know, Christian Pulisic comes in. Josh Sargent comes in. He's playing in, in Germany right now. 
Uh, Tyler Boyd is very good. He's playing in Turkey for uh, Besiktas. Jordan Morris is one of the standout players, and, and he has been for a while now. And uh, and so you look at that team, and, and I think that there's plenty of promise in the team. Uh, Weston McKinney, for example, he's he's been fantastic in Germany already. And I think that you have to look at this team and say there's plenty of potential. It's a lot of raw potential, but it's there. And so are they going to be able to translate that into wins? I think that we're going to see that tomorrow against Mexico as well. I think the game is at MetLife. So, you know, you guys can probably stop by, but uh, we'll see that against Uruguay as well. Are they competitive against the world's top teams? And, uh, and if they are, fantastic. We're in a great spot looking forward to the 2020 uh, Olympics. I mean, qualifying for that is March and April of this next year, 2020. So looking ahead to March and April, how do they perform? Will Will all the players be back? You know, what is Bearhalter going to do with the roster? I think it's all important to consider. And ultimately... I I would be uh, optimistic about it. I think that in terms of young talent, the U.S. is is pretty far ahead. It's just translating that young talent into a tournament-winning team, and, and we haven't been able to do that for a while. We missed the Olympics in 2012 and 2016 as well. So I think qualifying is the biggest issue right now, right? you got to get there, and, and once you're there, then you can focus on a game at a time. But I, I have to be optimistic for the U.S. national team. You know, I think the women make a big statement, and the men have to respond. Um, and I think the men's big statement that the women responded to was not getting into the World Cup and then the women coming in and, and blowing everybody else out of the water. So I think it'll be super exciting. I'm, I'm excited to watch the game tomorrow night and then against Uruguay as well, but uh, that also means that I'm not going to be able to watch some football Sunday as well. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. You know, with the with the men's team, the one thing that angers me the most is you know, I know the MLS. The MLS is still a young league. Like, I don't even think they've had their thirty-year anniversary, and right, right. I, I still feel as if there there are a lot of guys that are playing in the MLS that shouldn't be playing there. You know, they should be playing overseas. And you know, Kristen Pulisic, his uh, his father had said he's like, yeah, at fourteen, we knew that we wanted him to go to Europe because the guy just stands out. And you know, last question as we wrap up here, you know. Oftentimes, you see a kid playing a sport at a young age, and he has that quote-unquote it factor. Is it noticeable with, with the women's sports, too? Do girls stand out from the rest of the pack? Yes, yeah. yeah it works it, really similarly. Um, I know that, especially for club soccer in the area, we have a fantastic uh, development academy program. Uh, the ODP, so Olympic Development Program, is, is certainly there as well, but for you know, a player who is maybe 12, 13, I think their coaches and hopefully their managers and the, the directors of the clubs can identify them and uh, hopefully push them to uh, a higher level where they're in a position to succeed and in a position to get seen by the scouts, which happens at, you know, high school age, right? So I think our coach here in Chicago, Rory Dames, he, he knows who the high school players are, who are the best in Illinois. Uh, he owns a, a club here called Eclipse and, and they're fantastic they play in the ecnl which is one of the top leagues in the nation and they've got plenty of national championships under their belt and uh so you see that you see that opportunity come in where you can get noticed by a scout who eventually follows you through college and i think that the biggest issue for the women's game though is that there's such a big difference between high school college and the pros where in europe you might have a academy where you can go and study and also play soccer at the same time but you're there to be a soccer player. That's that's your goal. That's your dream. And I think everybody enjoys college. You should. You're supposed to. And and I think that college is not necessarily the best breeding ground for fantastic soccer to be played. 
Um, but you know, that's I could think difference of opinion with the NCAA and me. Well, Mike, I don't want to keep you much longer. I appreciate your time. I'm very happy that we finally made this happen. Uh, is there is there a, a social media they can find you at? Is there anything you want to plug, <laughs> promote? The floor is yours, my friend. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, the one thing that I would say is the Women's World Cup was fantastic. There was plenty of, of impact that that made on, you know, young kids around the world. And, and especially here in, in Chicago, we had 10,000 people come out to watch that game. We had 17,000 um, attended game, which was the, the highest in our you know history. And, you know, the, the games after that are not as well attended. So I think the, the one ask that I would make, I, you know, I'm not big on social media, so I, uh, I'm not going to plug any of that. But the big ask I would make is that if folks can, if, if it's convenient, go see a game, go see your local league. The, the National Women's Soccer League is, is young. That's uh, only in its seventh season right now. Um, and it, it needs investment. It needs people in, in the seats. And that's the biggest thing that I always preach. It's, it's butts in seats. And that's what's going to make the difference uh, down the line and making sure that in 50 years, we're still talking about it. And, you know, it's not just something that we, we used to have and, and don't anymore. So, uh, you know, I think that it's just important that if you like soccer, uh, you know, go see the local teams, uh, go see those national team players and, and keep supporting, uh, you know, when, when the national team players aren't there. Couldn't agree with you more, my friend. Mike, thank you so much for joining us and uh, looking forward to talking to you sometime soon. Thank you, Nick. You have a great day. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.